This week on Auto Catch Up, Queensland lift driving restrictions to 150 kilometres from home. Skoda introduces a servicing pack option for vehicles more than 12 months old, and a Queensland senator offers to buy Holden for just a single dollar. That and more coming up on the episode. Well, it's another cold week here in Queensland. I think, uh, Mick, you're feeling the cool a little bit more, but um, it's... Um, yes. <laughs> so, in case if, uh, if you're new to listening to Auto Catch Up this week, uh, we've got Mick McWilliams joining us um, at Low Flight Tech. Unfortunately, Joel Strickland uh, can't join us this week, um, but welcome back, Mick, and um, yeah, how are you feeling that cool chill coming through? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's um, definitely, I mean... <laughs> I, I, I don't, Joel's in Victoria, so you know we we're complaining because it's probably like it's about fifteen. Joel's probably not here with us this week because he's crawled under a doona because it's minus seven down there or something. So that's right. Yeah, can't blame you, Joel. Hi, Joel. How are you going? <laughs> nice. So, um, have you had any cars with uh, with heated seats to make it uh, more tolerable at all? You know what. <sighs> I don't understand why this car's got cooled seats and not heated seats, um, but I'm in the uh, I'm the Camry SLV6 this week. Um, I can probably forgive it for not having uh, heated seats because um, maybe the buttons there that I can't find, but the V6 in this thing is super fun. Um, I mean, it's you can tell the the Camry hasn't really been tuned locally it's a very global sort of mm. benign tune it's not particularly sporty um but the engine so much fun so eight speed auto still traditional torque converter type auto uh 224 kilowatts at six six i believe and a three around 360 newton meters in that sort of four seven space so very much a, an american type tuned motor um where they like the lots of power up top uh, yeah. and their their maximum torque sort of arrives a little bit later in the rev range than what the old um, local V6s and straight 6s used to. Mm. Um, but the rev I, th- I think we're so used to um, turbocharged motors here as well. Like the, the that Japanese influence here, we're used to having a lot of power, even you know just straight away, um, compared to I guess the Americans, where if you know think of big V8s and everything like that, where you know, you rev it out, you hit that red line. You know, to, to yeah, yeah, possibly. I guess, I mean, you young blokes, but me me being the old bloke, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'm used to um, V6s. I love V6s um, probably more than V8s. They're a little bit less heavy over the nose. Obviously, they don't have the same amount of power, but they're uh, like the traditional sixes in Australia have all been very, like had most of their torque down low so you can just sort of amble and cruise along it's only when you um really plant the foot that things get out of hand um but just that relaxed gait that they have has always been quite comfortable Mm. does Um, the i have to ask is this one of the models is the sl the one with the the quad exhaust tips would you like to would you like to define that a bit better the the um, four pipes out the back escaping is that's more that's a more that's a more accurate description 
Yeah. Uh, maybe not with the gas escaping, but there's definitely four mm. pipes there. Because um, I'll, I'll be the two inside ones are always dirty, <laughs> and the outside ones aren't. I don't think they do a great deal. Because the first time I saw one um, at the at the shops near me, I thought somebody had done an aftermarket kit. You know, like they they bought a go fast exhaust look. Yeah. Kit. Yep. Yeah. And um, and then I saw another one on a like a silver service taxi. And I thought, oh, I don't think I don't think the taxi owner is racing out to put you know, <laughs> yeah, aftermarket pipes on it. <laughs> Probably not, no. Um, but this this is a, a nice motor though. Yeah, it's the two GR uh, FKS, uh, essentially the Lexus three point five mm-hmm. direct injected motor. So it runs on ninety five, uh, okay. unfortunately. So a little bit of extra cost there for for running costs but i got it to it was 6.1 liters per 100 k's on the highway today i went down to down to brisbane and back for for work from the sunny coast mm-hmm. so that's pretty impressive economy for a 1600 kilo full-size fully kitted out sedan yeah um and certainly hybrid yep. is it it's no yeah, no just a straight really normally aspirated v6 yeah, yeah. so i mean that's uh you know we've been talking the last couple of weeks about um, what are the sacrifices and um, benefits and advantages mm. between SUVs and, and cars? There's not a lot of SUVs um, unless you're starting to get up into the expensive Euro stuff where you're going to get yeah. six litres per 100 Ks uh, on the highway. So I guess there's one for the one for the old farts team, yeah. <laughs> for the traditionalists. Um, that's, plenty that's, of room too. I think that's the yeah. thing that I always forget about Camry is that <clears throat> it is very generous in terms of the amount of space that you get in that car. And yep. I think the, the styling for the current Camry kind of came more out of the US model. I saw, I think Definitely. they got this styling a lot because I remember seeing a lot of um, a lot of American ads for the Camry and, and it's probably the first time I said, I think that Camry actually looks pretty good um, and actually made you take a te- you know take note of you know, <laughs> the Camry because um, before yeah, it was very it's... much a, a generic bland, you know, like very safe design where I think this, um, they've done a... a a good job. <laughs> we like know. The- yeah, definitely. Like this one's got a lot of, it's got a lot going on. Um, yeah. There's some weird angles. There's some things where you look at it and go, you know what? You probably shouldn't have put a kink there and you shouldn't have put a bump there. But um, like you're saying, you know, it is, it is more interesting. It does, you know, draw your eye a little bit more attention. Um, yeah. I have to admit, I actually did like the old, I think they called it Pagoda style uh, for the, previous generation Camry, so not the last one, which was an update of the one previous. Um, so that sort of um, the more square style I thought was quite yeah. an interesting design. So it had an interesting design concept and theme to it and a lot of good angles in it. But from yeah. a distance, when you look at it, you just went blah, you know, just yeah. pretty boring. Yeah. Um, but this one here, it definitely stands out. Um I had a guy come up to me and talk to me immediately the first day that I had it. Um, mm-hmm. I'd only parked, I think, the third, the third time I had the car, and um, he immediately wanted to get in a conversation about it. Um, he was getting out of a um, uh, a 10-year-old Lexus RX, mm-hmm. um, and that was the first thing he said to me when I when I get out of the car. And I, I told him it was Cameron. He goes, oh, is that the one with the Lexus motor? Because he's had the RX 350. So, um, <laughs> yeah. Immediately liked it. And just while I'm on that, actually, he did bring up 
And I know we talked about this the other day about the buying experience for Lexus. Yeah. And I was saying about how, you know, you get a lot more out of uh, when you go to those premium brands, you get a bit more customer service and get treated to be a little bit more special and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that um, RX350, when him and his wife bought it, he said when they went to go pick it up from Maruchidor and uh, some from Maruchidor Lexus, they felt like they were on a game show and they won a car. <laughs> Even though it wasn't brand new, like they, they bought it as a second-hand car. It was already a couple of years old. I think it had, I think he said it had 40 or 50,000 Ks on it. But it was like detailed up brand new and it was presented with like these lights. So like it was a reveal. They pulled a curtain back like, here's your new car. And they're like, wow. you know, they were, they were feeling pretty pretty special about so it. Was, so it wasn't just a, here's the used car delivery area, which is a, you know, like a, a, a patio style. You know, yeah, show, yourself, show yourself out if you want That's a cup it, of water. Yeah. There's a used cup on the bench that you can borrow, but yeah. make sure you put it back for the next customer. Yeah. yeah. That's right. <laughs> But they, yeah, no, they had, um, they were given a cup of tea and uh, um, a special mango cheesecake that had Lexus symbols on it and stuff. Nice. And they, okay. yeah, I thought it was really special. But um, yeah, I digress a little bit there. But um, I did actually suggest to him to have a look at the um, the Lexus ES um, hybrid, which is the similar sort of because we got talking about uh, he liked the same things that I like about these types of cars where you can get on the highway and just, you know, disappear off into the distance yeah. in incredible amounts of comfort. Mm. Um, and I was saying to him on the ES, you can feel the difference when you spend the extra money. You can you can feel it in the ES. It really feels like a, a really high-quality car. Yeah. Um, but back on the Camry itself, great car to shoot up and down the highway on, uh, yeah. a lot of fun. But around the corners, needs some work. Um Good hand, like good, good, um, good road holding. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, I think they got Bridgestone Taranzas on them, uh, two, three, five, eighteens, if I remember rightly. But um, too much body roll for a sporty car, um, which is I, I, I must have um, had a premonition because I'm using the hashtag um, Camry Sports Lounge, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is essentially, I mean. That's my review done. Mm. <laughs> because that's what it is. Looks sporty, goes fast. Like this, the, the motor, I can't emphasize enough how much fun it is. Yeah. It um, goes hard and fast and straight. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, yeah, have your, have your seasick tablets. No, it's not quite that bad. But um, if you're used to things being locally tuned and having a lot less body roll, you'll probably get a lot more fun out of the car. Having yeah. said that, it's front-wheel drive, a lot of torque, so if you're going around a corner and putting too much power through the front anyway, you're going to get a bit of wheel spin. I got some mm. axle tramp out of it the other day, which is wow. ridiculous, but, <laughs> but there we are. Still a nice car, but, um, yeah, uh, imagine if they um, bought the Mark X from Japan. Mm. Same I motor, think, rear-wheel think, drive, same size. I think it shows um, – I think a lot of people overlook um, the things that – you know, certain brands like Hyundai is a really good example, Hyundai and Kia, of the local tuning program they have. I think a lot of people maybe don't value it as much or they go, oh, okay, yeah, cool. It, 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 it's just oh, yeah. something, it's just something they, they say it. to make it like we care about the Australian market, you know, given that we don't make the car here. But yeah. I think what you're really highlighting there is that the real advantage of doing that, it, it does cost money for that to happen they need engineers they need to you know that throughout that 
development process of bringing the car into Australia, you know, that costs money and it also influences things, you know, in the production facility as well. Yeah. Um, it's a real tangible benefit yeah. from the local tuning yeah. in those two brands. Yeah. When you drive them, you know it, I think. And I, th- I think that's what's happening with a lot of them that, um, you know, people are going from other brands into Hyundai and Kia and giving them a chance. Once you give it a chance, you know, why do you, why, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Why yeah. are you going to go somewhere else if this mm. is giving you what you want? Yeah. Yeah. Because as much as, um, and I think James May was always a great um, rep, you know, a great advocate of this is that just because a car is developed at the Nürburgring doesn't mean it's going to be great on the road. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it, it, it gives obviously a lot of diverse feedback, but it's also, it's still a racetrack. It's still, you know, it's it's not like driving down the street or your road on driving on our highways. And so even though most European manufacturers and a lot of other international manufacturers now put pretty much every car um, they manufacture through, you know, Nürburgring testing, it doesn't mean it's going to directly translate to a better driving experience for you on an Australian road. I don't go around a roundabout like I'm on the carousel. That no. just does not happen. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that's I think that's really interesting for you to make that, um, you know, that observation because I think, yeah, it, it I think it further highlights um, that if a company does say that and they do actually do it, um, it 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 typically will translate to a better riding experience obviously it depends exactly on what model car you're buying and what the point of it is but in general it's going to give you um a more enjoyable experience you know driving around on on typical australian roads absolutely Um, aside aside from that though everything else except for the the cooled seat but does it have car play yeah, it probably does, but I've st- I haven't plugged it in for CarPlay, um, yeah. and I'll tell you why, because CarPlay has, oh, not CarPlay, but Android Auto <laughs> has been very buggy lately, and I'm wondering if it's because I've got a Huawei Chinese spy phone uh, and whether or not the, they're keeping up with their updates or whatever. So I've had a few <laughs> problems, yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously Huawei have got um, a beef with the, with the US and Google and yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of being kicked out and that sort of thing. So it's been a little bit buggy and I haven't been plugging it in. It's just been annoying me. So, mm. and, and well, really I'll the good. To, I've got a, I've got a Huawei as well. So I'll, I'll mm. plug it in um, to some of my vehicles uh, that I've got at the moment in the driveway and see how that experience goes as well, just to see if, um, yeah. cause I, I typically, I, I, I'm not really a huge fan of Android Auto. I just, compared to the CarPlay experience, I find CarPlay is much more refined. It's None of them are perfect, but I just like yep. um, the it, – it is really a touch-first um, orientated experience. Compared to Android, I feel like I've had to dive through too many menus to try and get to what I want. Um, For – yeah, I'll – I'll plug it in. I'll, I'll see how the Android Auto goes on my side. Um, uh, I don't. What menus do you go to for? Oh, playing the music and stuff is is a yeah. bit of a pain. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So because I'm driving at the moment, so today I I really I haven't really driven enough to to have much thoughts. But I've um, so I took back the the Granvia um today and picked up the new Renault. I think you call it the Kadja, K-A-D-J-A-R. So it's kind of uh, it's their small SUV, similar to um, the Nissan Qashqai. Yep. Um, it shares that that common common ground with the the Renault Nissan um, partnership. But 
Um, so I'll recap on the Grand Vio. I really enjoyed it. Um, it doesn't. <laughs> isn't, it, it doesn't, isn't it good? Yeah, it's great. I it's it doesn't. It's not as um, luxury compared to like the Carnival, like from Kia. Yep. Um, but saying that, I I could just drive and drive in that thing. I just I just yeah. loved it. Um, <laughs> the seats were a bit fiddly to move around in the back. Like I I, I, I saw what you meant when you when you had it the the rails and everything like that. Yeah. Um, were a bit funny. I, it took a little while to work those out because just to get the maximum leg room for each occupant in each row, you kind of have to be fiddly. And sometimes it wouldn't, like where you would want the seat to be, it it wouldn't lock into wouldn't position. In right yeah. yeah. Um, so it took a little bit. And the only, I guess, the only real takeaway, and I posted about it, was that it's um it's great for passengers. It's it's a perfect car for if you if you. Owner, if if you're thinking about doing Uber or you have an Uber XL, um, we trans you know transporting a number of passengers, it's perfect for that. Um, if you're taking them from one end of the city to the other, however, because yep. of the design, particularly if you have the eight seater option, because it comes with six seat standard, um, but you have that eight seater option, is that you sacrifice any possible luggage, luggage space and. Yep. And that can be frustrating if you are nicking to the, to the shops and you need to grab something. You have to open that side door and just dump it on the floor in between the seats. If, you, if you're picking up people from the airport, you kind of have to say, look, I know you Take have plenty of leg room, but you're going to have to sit it on your lap or sit in, you know, or sit it yep. in that center aisle. So it's it's perfect for passengers, but not if you have bags with them. Um, and I think that's just a trade-off. And... Um, and I think where if, if you are transporting, picking up people with lots of bags, the Carnival, it's physically smaller, but you get a lot more leg room um, for people and up front. Lug- and the luggage in the back. Luggage space. It's just <laughs> phenomenal. Even, yep. if, even with all of the seats up. Um, in it's better with the seats mode, up, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because it's um, so deep when that when they pull when it comes out of the recess in the floor, yeah. that space underneath is massive. Absolutely, yeah. So each one, I can see they they do certain things really well. I'd love to see. I think it's they call it the VX, so the um, yep. the high end model of the Fancy Grand Vita because it's it's got all of you. You know, this has some really good bells and whistles. The air co- air conditioning through the back is really great. Yep. All of the cup holders, bottle holders, USB ports, um, it's fantastic. But I'd love to see what that extra twenty or so thousand dollars really gets you on that next model up. Um, yep. The photos look phenomenal of it. Um, but I'd love to see how that translates in the real world. Um, you know, did you? And- um- did you try and stick it in some gaps you thought it wouldn't go in and try and do yeah. some three-point turns? And It's amazing, yeah. isn't it? The, the turning circle is great. It, yeah. And I think that's where um, the high ace kind of DNA really helps it because Toyota have spent so long, even though I don't think I see as many high aces on the road of the new generation around compared to, you know, the Renaults and um, uh, what was the other yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, um, there's a few more. The, and that kind of thing. The um, transit and that are sort of getting yeah, around a there's, bit. there's a lot more competition in those small vans, but it's super wide. Um, you know, you can fit a lot of stuff in that, you know, in that square footage. But also when it comes to getting in and out of the front seats, the turning circle, the visibility, it does a really great job because I think they've had to yeah. take that knowledge from, you know, what, 
delivery drivers and, and people who drive those professionally and it's just sort of like a, a positive effect side effect of that when it can yeah you know, when it can you know what into a I, I used to have some sympathy for those guys in the big white box vans yeah. thinking yeah. you poor buggers having it no i know how maneuverable your car is you don't have to drive yeah. like that anymore <laughs> and that's without the three no more excuses <laughs> that's right I think could benefit from a 360 cam. It, it it even if it does cost a little bit more, you're already paying a lot for the van. You know, sixty three thousand, sixty, you know, mid sixties yeah. for it. Um, you know, what's an extra thousand bucks adding a 360 cam just to be absolutely sure that um, you know, you're not gonna that back left corner. Yeah, because I, I found that look having it parked on the road and having everybody home and doing a lot of walking, I have had to be really vigilant um, of kids on their scooters riding oh, yeah. past yeah. and not being aware of cars and everything like that. Um, I have had to be really vigilant because and, and sort of get another person to look out for me because I, I come down a little bit of a hill and, you know, that kind of thing where I think a 360 camera would have not fully solved it, but it would have helped. Um, yep. just to get a bit more spatial awareness of things coming out of nowhere quickly. But in terms of fitting into tight spaces, it does a great job. And, yeah, I've lost any sympathy I've had for, for delivery drivers, <laughs> particularly high-ace drivers. Um, I have the Renault traffic next week, um, so I'll be able to compare, you know, kind of in, in very basic terms of how that handles compared to what a yeah, – yeah. A highest maybe dimension maneuverability sort of thing, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, really enjoyed it. But in terms of the Renault, so the Re- Renault Cadger, in in the probably the the forty minutes I've spent in the car so far, I've found it more comfortable than the Qashqai, more relaxing to drive on the highway than the Qashqai. Wow. Even though, for all intents and purposes, it's very very similar under the hood. Um, but I just like it in. I've, I can't wait to drive some some more on that because um, yeah, it's it's quite a comfy little little. Do car. you have um, do you have any Renault emotional baggage? No, so, not really. No, it's mm. it's it's been a bit of a like I've got a friend who um, who has a love hate relationship with Renault. Um, yep, but uh, I it's kind of like Skoda for me, where you know they exist, but you haven't really been. Sort of, Haven't you know, had enough exposure to it. No, yeah. it, it, and even though I see plenty on the road um, these days, the, the the front design is very, uh, very. It stands out a lot compared to a lot of things on the road at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 it, it's got most of what you want, and it just has a slight little French twist on it, um, like the the button to activate cruise control to turn it on, or your speed limiter is actually. On the center console Across behind the, the handbrake. Um, <laughs> oh right, okay. Yeah. So, and it's got the world's most ugliest Bluetooth module um, on the steering column. I'll post a photo. It is. It, it looks like a third-party Audi special buys thing. Um, thankfully, A L D I, not A U D I. Yeah, obviously. yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, but thankfully, it spends probably ninety percent of its life behind the steering wheel, and you only see it when you start turning. Um, yeah right, but yeah, it's um, but overall, like it looks good. Um, it's funny. It's it's almost the exact same red as the the M two thirty five I that's parked next to it. Um, right. So it's kind of got two red cars in the driveway at the moment, and um, yeah, and 
The M235, I'll touch on that quickly. Um, so far, so it's really interesting. So it shares the same engine um, as the Mini JCW, so the John Cooper Works Clubman. Same yep. power, same torque, um, but it, and it puts its power through, you know, BMW calls it X-Drive, so it's got power going to all the wheels. Um, but if I was to ask you, is the Mini or the BMW more expensive, um, what would you say? There'd have to be the BMW, surely. Yes. Yeah, so the well, so the BMW is actually cheaper. So it's forty nine nine ninety base price right. um, for the M two thirty five i, and the Clubman. Um, granted, it is a, a touch bigger, but same power, everything like that. Basically, different different bodies. It starts at like sixty low sixties. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I guess that kind of makes sense because we're still. Um, I mean, <laughs> we're in bizarro world now. I can't say mm. it's reality. It reality it used to be bizarro world, but uh, <laughs> you know the <laughs> so the so the two series drives backwards now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, so, yeah. yeah. I mean that's that's essentially one of the one of the benefits of the yeah. of the front wheel drive platforms yeah. is the ease of manufacture. You can get a little bit more floor mm-hmm. space, um, and they're they're cheaper to make it. Your module goes at the front. Um, there's a lot of uh, alignment in manufacturing with other vehicles and platforms and all that sort of thing. So I guess that's realization of that. But I just, I just want it to be cheapens it a bit. Do you reckon? I just want it to be a little bit more, um, a Exclusive. little bit more like the M2 in the way of I, I'm not wanting it to be an M2 because that's a completely different animal when it comes to what it is. Yeah. But I just expect, even though it, it it's actually a lot cheaper than I thought it would be for the M235i compared to especially the 235i coupe that used to exist um, before the new models came through, where that yep. was like, you know, your 80s, 90s for that car, where this is, you know, this is at 50 grand before your on-roads and everything like that. But I just want a little bit more, particularly for the demo market it's going for. Like this is very, you know, it's just, as, this is just a touch more expensive than i30N hatch. Um, and so when you think about it, it's going for that same type uh, of market. No, you're talking about 235, aren't you? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So that's 49. M235, they're 70, aren't they? Uh, when I had a look, I'll confirm it because I... Mm. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. But anyway, but th- my argument still stands that even in the realm, I find that the i30N kind of hits the same demographic, regardless of where the price point sits. Right. It's going for the similar type of buyer. Yet, um, I think it just needs a little bit more theatre around it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just wondering about the exclusivity of. Yeah, so M235i X Drive. Is MLRP forty nine nine ninety? No. Yes. That's what I've got right in front of me right now. What's M two thirty five X Drive Grand Coupe? What's that on? What? Um, uh, I'm borrowing car advice at the moment. Because yeah, I'm looking on Redbook and they say seventy. They should be pulling from the same. 
Anyway, let's solve it. We can go to bmw.com.au. Let's do it. So it's going to involve else. It, it will have your GST in it, like your driveway pricing. So it's going to be slightly different, but um, models. Here we go. Like that. They really make you jump through. This is a great experience of um, talk about. <laughs> yeah, looking user at user experience. I can't even find there. Where is it? Models. Yeah, here we go. Why did those twos not come up before? Weird. Grand Coupe. Well, okay, yeah. All right. So that's 79 drive away, 71729 MLIP. So car advice, I was trusting you, but you need to update your data. <laughs> I did actually find something of theirs a while ago, and full credit to them, as soon as I pointed it out, they, they fixed it up. But they had a um, uh, one of their lines of code was obviously pushing back to the wrong graph and it was showing last yeah. month's sale figures in the following months. Oh, if you looked backwards, that's right. So if you yep. looked at the month before mm-hmm. um, and the following month's figures had come out, it would repopulate back. Right. But they, 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 they fixed that out quick smart because I was doing the numbers and I was putting it in a spreadsheet yeah. and I looked and went, that looks awfully familiar. I just yeah. typed that five minutes ago. All right, yeah. there you go. So, okay, all right. So you're talking uh, – Mid fifties to seventy, so twenty thousand dollar difference. But on my basic experience so far, I'd find the i30n much more fun to drive. Um, even though you're, you're comparing a manual versus an auto, Hyundai is still yet to deliver the um, DCT. But yep. um, the cracks, the pops, the the theater that are that comes around it is i think far more satisfying than what the m235i delivers um have you have you played in a in a a45 at all no not yet yeah because they've got lots of theater yeah yeah (laughs) yeah, exactly and i think mercedes have done a really good job of that like across all of their amg models they do a great job of that Mm. um particularly those ones which have the v8s they just do an amazing job um but i think yeah it's because everything else about the car is great like in the red it looks incredible even though the grand coupe depending on the colors from the rear it doesn't look great but in this current spec it looks really nice the big m brakes um m performance brakes look fantastic when they fill up that wheel um the the interior is really nice bmw really stepped up um, in terms of that interior compared to the previous generations. Um, so the digital displays, that center iDrive display, really high resolution. Um, so it, no matter what you throw up on it, whether you are casting via CarPlay or anything like that, the text and, and footage looks really great. Um, you've got metal, nice bits of metal through for the air conditioning controls. Um, so in terms of like, it, it, it feels really refined. It doesn't feel like you're stepping into like the, you know, the entry level models yeah. for a car brand or anything like that. It feels like, a BMW should. It smells like it, you know, that the new car smell. It's they've, they've engineered that really, really well. Um, it does give you a little bit of crack and pop. It it does give you plenty of speed when you want to push it. Um, but it's kind of probably just a touch, you know, it's just a hair on um the the long 
um, gearing for the for the for the gearbox. Um, right. So you do really have to, you know, you, it's kind of like the Cayman GD4. The articles that are coming about that, where the gearing is kind of just a little bit off. Where you know, first for the Cayman first gear. To, to get to the red line, you're at 85 k's an hour. Wow. Um, and for anybody driving out on the street, that's not really any fun when you can't change gears before you're, you know, exceeding the speed limit on the highway. Um, yeah. Where this obviously isn't that same level, but it gets so closer to the going. I just want to... Sp- I want to. I want to feel that joy which they've engineered into those gear changes when you're accelerating hard before, you know, I'm far exceeding the the speed limit and no longer having any fun because I'm pulled over and being told that um you know I'm I'm you know being you know you'll the hoon laws or whatever you know like that you know you'll get the same answer out of Germany is what they got when uh the original commodores first came over to Australia and all broke yeah the, the, the german answer was get better roads yeah that's, that's right <laughs> um, which is exactly what's going on here yeah it's not your you don't have an autobahn that's not our fault yeah, so look, I think I, I re- I'm really looking forward to, and it's a great way to segue into our first bit of news. We'll dive through the news because we've got some big motorsport stuff to talk about. Um, yeah. But the so the the driving restrictions for Queensland in particular lift tomorrow um, yeah. to extending to 150 kilometres from home. So um, I know there's a few groups. Um, around in Brisbane that are kind of doing a pseudo drive, um, you know, picking out some of the best takeaway spots to hit up on a on a you know on a on a weekend. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people, 150k's like what you mentioned last week gives you a lot of, you know, room to room to move when you plan out that you know that big circle of you know 150k's. Yeah, I can get um, a radius. So it's um <laughs> yeah it's good. Yeah, um, I still haven't decided where I'm going to go yet. Um, I'm thinking probably – the problem is because everybody's been stuck in a cave for the last couple of weeks, um, I'm fully anticipating that it's going to be fairly packed tomorrow, um, especially in all the normal haunts that I like. So I like heading up uh, north from me and then out west a little bit towards uh, Kenilworth, even out towards Imbul. at the sort of west of the sunny coast hinterland and then coming back around the bottom towards Mullaney. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of good country roads out there, but very popular with uh, motorbikes, almost as popular as it is with the police. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I guess, you know, as oh, always, be careful and watch what you're doing mm-hmm. uh, and always, you know, drive to conditions. Um, but the conditions tomorrow are going to be thicker than fog with motorcycle headlights, I'm, I'm imagining. Yeah. Um but that's no excuse to not get out there because it is a beautiful Queensland day tomorrow. So yeah. um, I just don't know whether or not the Kenilworth uh, Cheese Factory is going to be open because I don't uh, mind going out there yeah. for an ice cream. Yeah. Always loved stopping in there when I go past. Yeah, but I mean, even there, it, the trick, the tricky part is now that they've fixed up the highway going north uh, on the Bruce, it is, well, pretty boring. So, you know, you've got to hang a left uh, and sort of go up around. Actually, I I did think that you needed to go up Skyring Creek Road a while mm-hmm. ago, but I did actually do that in the Veloster. Um, yeah. It's not the right road for that. Uh, yeah, right, okay. Probably would have been a better place <laughs> to take the Santa Fe. Yeah. Uh, a bit rocky, a bit rough. Yeah. But by all means, go exploring. I think that's yeah. that's that's the bit where I get the most fun yeah. out of um, of driving cars 
is also getting to find new places, you know, get out and about. And, you know, a lot of those places that would have had previously pretty ordinary traffic at the best of times yeah. um, would have had absolutely zero lately. So they'd mm. be really hanging out for some visitors to drop in and have a cup of coffee and a, um, and a pie or a, a vanilla slice and, and move yeah. along. So it's um, a really good tip. Yeah. Um, there's an app. It, it up your way it might not be as populated, but a really good app um, for those located in Brisbane is actually called the Porsche Roads app. And what you can do, it gives you a big long list of it. It knows where you start, and it will give you a list of of you know good drives near you. And right. and basically, you go, yep, I want to do that drive, and it will navigate you to the start, and then give you navigational directions um, throughout that drive as well um, through it. So it helps you. So if you're not really fully knowledgeable about what good driving roads you have around you, it, it's a good place to start. Um, it, and you can also leave feedback or if you know some good drives and you want to share that, you can actually record a drive and upload it to the Porsche app and uh, then other oh, people right. can see it. Yeah, so it's kind of – it's a really cool thing they've done. I've been trying to talk to them and doing a, a good article about it because I don't think enough people know about it, um, particularly if you are like hopefully you know if if we can start to travel a little bit further away from home or if even interstate travel becomes a thing you know a lot of road trips are going to happen so if you're not too sure about you know in a place you're driving to you want to find some good roads it's a really good app to do that um but the alternative thing what i normally do is that i just jump on on google maps start off with a rough location of where I kind of want to go and I just look for the squiggly roads and then I jump on the satellite view and see and try and see if it's dirt or not. Yep. You know what I actually um, found was really good because my my father-in-law, he's a um, cane farmer. He's always been local and all that sort of stuff and um, occasionally when I have a four-wheel drive, we'll go and um, plan out a road trip yeah. at his place but we use actual maps. So these are things that used to be printed on this uh, old hard yeah. stuff called paper. <laughs> yeah. uh, but just having that around the table, like you, you put it on the table and you have your um, your Sunday roast or whatever you're doing, you yeah. sit there and you just look at the map and have a look at all different places you can go and try and figure out where you're going. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to start a bit of a conversation about it as well. And you can point stuff out and think, oh, that, that looks good and that looks good. Yeah. Fortunately, I mean, I don't need Google to tell me whether or not that road is going to be um, – rubbish or where it goes or anything because uh wayne's lived here for 65 years so (laughs) he knows all the answers already um um, but yeah maps only like eight bucks or something yeah but you can get them if you're an rcq member you can go on and get them for free yeah Uh, yeah true that's true so it's worth remembering that as well. If you are a member of any sort of driving club, they typically will be able to give you um, maps for free. So uh, in, yeah. even though in a world of um, a lot of it's probably another good good segue right here, um, a lot of car warranties and servicing packages offer roadside um, less and less people kind of have um, like things like RSCQ and things like that for yeah, New York cars but right. like even RSCQ this isn't sponsored or anything but for 26 bucks a year you can have like a lifestyle membership so not only do you get access to like the normal discounts but you can get all the maps and everything for free as well um, yeah. or built into your lifestyle membership cost anyway um, which is handy because you, you can just pick up a new map every year yeah yeah, 26 absolutely. bucks. You update a GPS map on your car. Yeah. Um, let's see how much that costs you. It's a hell of a lot more than 26 bucks. Particularly if you're going anywhere regional, even if you have Telstra, it doesn't matter really which 
network you're with, you're going to have spots where you don't have coverage. And so unless you've pre-downloaded the maps, it's always handy to have a paper map sort of back up anyway. Uh, I just I just find too, if you're doing it on, the, on your phone or on your GPS, you know, people aren't going to gather around it. No. There's just something cool about being out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Kind of lost. Yeah, true. Putting it out on the bonnet and everyone can get around and give their opinion on what, what should happen rather than waiting for someone to take the lead and just sort of, yeah, I don't know. Again, I'm old. I keep telling you I'm old. <laughs> I'm not really that old. No need to keep reminding us. Just these stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let me tell you about a time. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a boy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but anyways, this, uh, the SCOTA servicing. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people come out with this already. A lot of brands have already got servicing schedules and packages put together. But what I found most interesting about this one was the fact that they put it on um, on secondhand cars as well. Yeah. So. And uh, yep. Yeah, I was going to say. So normally, and this is probably the big thing, is because typically when you go and buy a secondhand car, you kind of lose. Not everything. Like you still, if it's still covered under factory warranty and everything like that. But normally, when it comes to servicing packages, you normally have to buy it when you're getting the car brand new. Yeah, point of and sale. So yeah. you, you miss that miss that opportunity. And this is probably and and they they've been very clever about this as well. Um, we're saying that you know this is all about making. European car ownership more affordable um, because if we can say that comfortably that European cars probably don't have the best reputation when it comes to servicing cost. Um, And so this is a way that, you know, just like other brand, other European brands have done, it's, it's kind of like a good way to provide, you know, somewhat a, a known cost to that ownership. Um, so bar any sort of anything erroneous that might pop up um, that isn't covered in it, but it's a pretty good way to sort of, you know, make sure that at least in general, your services aren't going to be too shocking. Um, well, I'm, wondering how, I'm wondering how old the car can be. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it might be, a, it's a major service. Yeah. You know, if you like doing a... I don't know whether this is a major service for Skoda or not, but when you're getting up to that sort of 160 to 180,000 K yeah. range, that's sort of when you do belts or, you know, timing mm-hmm. belts or chains, yeah. depending on what they've got. Yeah. Um, they're usually pretty pricey servicings. And I, I, I mean, all it says here is used car service packs, uh, which go for four years, mm-hmm. um, ranging in price between 1200 for the Fabias and the, and the Rapid. Is it Rapid? Rapid, whichever. Right. Yeah, Rapid, I think. Yep. Uh, but Octavia, um, yeah, thirteen hundred and up to Superb and Kodiak, the large ones, obviously for, um, for sixteen hundred for four years. So essentially four hundred dollars a service. Um, Which for any car kind pretty, of sounds pretty pretty reasonable. Yeah, uh, it's fairly reasonable. That's 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 quite good um, in, in the modern. So, um, so it's go to say that it's an average saving of about thirty percent across most models. Um, yeah, but I'm sort of, you know, they just say that uh, applicable at any time after the first 15,000 kilometre scheduled service and valid for the next four scheduled services or totaling 60,000 kilometres, whichever comes first. So mm-hmm. if you're buying a 100,000 kilometre old Octavia and you get your belts done at 160,000, you can get it a get it fairly cheaply because usually usually a, a timing belt or chain servicing is sort of over a thousand bucks so um you could probably do quite well out of that unless they've got some more terms and conditions hidden somewhere yeah i anyway. i expect the the, the um, details things to be pretty long um <laughs> yeah, exclusions 
on the surface anyway, like it's better than nothing. Um, yep. And I think that's probably the – it's a good – like a lot of these things when it's the first step, usually it's kind of to test the waters. We'll see how it goes. Um, but saying that, this is part of Volkswagen Group. It's it's not like they probably – you know, it's not like they're coming to this not knowing that this is going to be advantageous for them. Um, yep. But yeah, this, I mean, like the – uh, the three, like the five-year pack, uh, you know, thirteen fifty is pretty good. But even like the three-year pack, seven hundred and fifty bucks. So essentially, three servicings, two hundred and fifty yeah. bucks each. That's mm. that's pretty good. Or three hundred dollars each for the larger vehicles, which is, yeah. Um, yeah. That's it's definitely worthwhile. I mean, there's a lot of offers and deals and uh, deals and things going around for mm-hmm. point of sale savings mm-hmm. at the moment. Um, but this it's is an enduring point of saving. Yeah. On on along the lines of what you're saying, um, have a look when you, if you are buying a, a new Skoda, look at the three year and five year pack, and then also look at what the scheduled servicing is, and and you can ask the the dealer for what the typical cost is for you know say if you buy the three year pack, well what your fourth year and what your fifth year service would cost, because. Yep. Um, this is a little while ago, so I haven't seen if it's changed at all. But Car Advice did do an article um, about Volkswagen, the, the Golf, and how their servicing pack just conveniently ran out just before all the major servicing was due. Right. Um, so it's worth just noting, like if you are looking at, you know, between $900 and $1,700, um, just find out what those costs were if you do opt for the three-year, what that – that cost could be because it might be worthwhile, you know, stretching that a little bit further yep. if it means you're going to save some money if you're thinking about owning the car for that long. Obviously, if you're going to own the car for three years, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to, to pay for the five-year option unless, you know, um, yeah, depending on what how you're financing it or, or what. Obviously, it, it depends on all of those things. Um but if you're keeping it for five years, definitely, you know, do the comparison shop, you know, find out that information because um, they will know it um, just to, well, I'm to wondering know if that's, what you're in for. If it's even set, like this doesn't actually even say how many servicings you get either. No. So if you're doing high kilometres, um, like, you know, if they're doing, they've got 15,000 kilometre scheduled services. Um, so if you're doing five years, I mean, I'm doing... 45,000 kilometers a year. Mm. So that's essentially three servicings in a year. So yeah, I'm getting so like 15 that, servicings. Based on costing the less than $100. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think for the I think it is just for for the used car pack anyway. It's four scheduled services or 60 60,000 k. So probably oh. for your inference your instance you'll probably you probably still get value out of it, let's be honest. Um but Will, oh, I will. That will I will. I will out. get every dollar out of it. Don't yeah, worry about that. that. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, it's a good thing. Just, just make sure. Obviously, when you're looking at things like that, um, go in and and as you should anyway when you're buying a car or buying anything, get all the figures and work out and and work out what best you know what best works for you. And for goodness' um, sake, write it down. Yeah, that's right. Even if it's um, in your phone, just yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, but when it comes to the next thing of buying cars, it seems like Jeep Australia is the next um, next brand of the lot to to sort of bring a virtual experience around to make it easier to to buy a car, at least experience a Jeep 
product. Um, so it looks like they've released, uh, yeah, so they call it Jeep Virtual Demo, a customized virtual vehicle demonstration experience for its Australian dealerships. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> for me, <laughs> this sort of stuff kills me. Um, yeah. Just because I'm the practical, hands-on kind of guy, I saw an advert the other day on uh, for some particular um, alcohol outlet saying that they're having a, a virtual whiskey oh, yes. tasting. Yeah. That's this is right up there yeah. with me. Uh, I mean, a lot of people don't aren't so overtly concerned with. Um, you know, corner entry and exit speed as I am. Um, but, you know, this this is still still a handy thing to tell them about. Essentially, you, you can already do this sort of stuff yourself, like go online and go and have a look on the website and all that sort of stuff. And Read a really good people. comprehensive review. That will probably answer most of your questions. So yeah, yeah. Probably, if you have specific questions to you, this is probably a good yeah. That's what I was about to say. This is the best way to do it because you can one-on-one ask somebody a question because, I mean, who wants to go onto a website in a comment section and ask a silly question? (laughs) You will just get hammered (laughs) with all the trolls out there who know everything because they've read the detailed review from cover to cover and you know, don't, they may still only be 13, um, but they will still yell at you. So that's mm-hmm. that's not a lot of fun. So this, this is a good avenue for people who aren't necessarily car mad to, you know, get a look in at the actual features and get a good understanding of them as well. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, we've talked about this before. There's the amount of features and capability that you have in modern cars is enough to essentially warrant having a new licensing system. Mm, yeah. Um, just to understand how to get all those things to work and, and move. I, yeah. It, it would be good to actually have someone provide you with that information too. I think that having this distance between you and the salesperson sort of takes the pressure off as well. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's it's all part of – look, because at, at the end of the day, this is really just like a, a, a FaceTime or a Skype call um, yep. on, on the surface. It, it, it's just um, – and I think, uh, it, you know, if you're listening, you know, tell us if you're wrong, but I think that a lot of the data out there says that most people sort of read three to five reviews online. They watch a video or two, and by the time they're getting to the dealership anyway, they, they pretty much know exactly it's – most things about the vehicle, they've got a pretty big idea of what is and what isn't good for them, you know, in terms of, you know, the specific things about the car and how to lines and what they want. But it's usually, you know, it's just those couple of questions you have that, oh, does how does that seat really fold down in the back? Is it going to fit, you know, our pram yep. versus, you know, the one they used in the in the video? Or, or I'm the worst uh, for that. You know, but that's, I'm a terrible so, customer. So this is the great spot to to have that, and and to do it, and then yep. you know, then you can go, yep, yeah, cool. Let's organise a, a test drive of it, because um, by that time, I think you know, Jeep and a lot of other dealers know that if if you've gotten through all of those things, you've already done that research, and now you're getting to the test drive, they know that you're you know you're pretty much it's the sale to lose, really, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, particularly in this environment. Um, it's like JB Hi-Fi. I've got a, free, a few friends that work there and they said the best thing about coronavirus is that the people that are walking in are the ones that are buying. There's no time wasters. There's just – they're only there because they're there to buy. Yeah, that's right. True. Um, no one's so, browsing, are they? 
That's right. So my mother-in-law, she goes in and looks for hours and then buys one CD. <laughs> <laughs> so I think like that's that's probably the the good thing about these structured processes now is that the dealers are kind of knowing that for someone to be like, yes, I want you to come to my home, bring a vehicle that it's, you know, there's probably a lot further down that buying process than just rocking up to a dealer on a Saturday afternoon and going, yeah, I just want to try, you know, go for a bell. Yeah, I, 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 I totally agree, and I, I'm also um, a little disappointed with everybody in public, mm-hmm. <laughs> except for me. When I go to drive a car, like if I'm going to buy a car, I'll test drive like ten or fifteen cars. Yeah, um, and it, it's it's difficult for. I guess you've got to have a certain type of um, personality. I'm very much an analyst. At heart, so when I'm driving things, I'm thinking about a thousand things, and I really haven't got time to listen to the dealers babble about, oh, this is how much it really costs, and this is how much you're going to save, which is what they always yeah. love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really wish people would do that: go in and drive a car, and then just like even if you're going to do it. And sorry, dealers, but um, I'm just going to recommend that people do this. Go and drive a car that you know you aren't going to buy mm-hmm. so you can practice saying no. Yeah. Because if you get into the car and you drive it and somebody just applies a little bit of pressure and you don't want to be that that stick-in-the-mud, pain-in-the-ass mm-hmm. sort of person, which I'm willing to be um, on occasion, um, then you, you might end up buying a car that isn't exactly the one that you wanted. Mm-hmm. The, the best thing is to make sure that you've got a good level of confidence in saying yes or no for the vehicle that you really want because yeah. as i've said this before it doesn't matter how happy the salesman is with you mm. when you drive mm. off in the car it mm. doesn't matter how happy uh, i am because i've recommended to you that you should buy a golf r or whatever the only the only person's opinion that matters when you're driving the car is you you've got to be happy with your purchase mm-hmm. process and in order to make sure you get the right product you've got to be able to tell people no yeah Yep. Or even, you know, another another strategy, and I know some people have done this is and it depends on what you know, it depends on what car you're buying. But go rent one. You know, if you if you don't want to deal with the salespeople and you just want to have your own time with it, go hire one um from a car rental pro you know, and, and mm. have it take it for the weekend, drive it how you normally do, and know that yes, it might not be the exact model that you're you're hoping. It might even be the exact model but in general it's going to give you a pretty good idea in your own relaxed kind of state you know you get take it home park it in the garage um you Put know the pram in it yeah use it like you normally do because you don't get that chance norm- on a on a typical test drive yeah um and for a couple hundred dollars it, it it could be the thing that means that you know you're making the right investment, rather than you know being pressured into a into a sale, particularly at this point. Because if you do walk in a dealership, it's um I've had a couple experiences in in retail, not car dealerships, where yep. things are pretty dire and you get asked seven times, "What are you looking for? What do you need? Can I help you? Oh, you're buying this." Do you want to buy, you know, a laptop? Are you sure you don't want to buy a laptop? You need, you know, and they start because they're really hungry for that sale because obviously, yeah, you know, it's it's tough at the moment. So they're really doing whatever they can to make yep. that sale, and and that doesn't always lead, like what you're saying, to a good buying decision for you as a consumer. Um, yeah, that's right. It gets their so, percentage up though, so it sort of makes them yeah. happy. But yeah, you got to. So, I mean, you can't. You got to. You got to forgive them their trespasses a little because you know these people are trying to make money and make a living. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, it's the, the the golden rule I always have is the dealer's job is to 
sell you a car for as much money as possible. Mm -hmm. And my job is to get a car for the least amount of money as possible. That's, that's the last thing you got to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So look, it's it's yeah, it's it's a good step. It's a it's a, it's you know it's along the lines of what everybody else is doing. Um, so at least it's good to see Jeep Jeep doing that. And I and I assume that will probably extend to some of their other brands as well, um, given that they all typically fall under the same dealer. Um, but most of the time, if you ask a dealer, can you give me a video tour? Doesn't matter what car brand, they'll probably do it. <laughs> um, yep. I got, I got one of a special car program. the other day. So <laughs> yeah. So look, it's yeah. it's not really a a unique or, or special thing. If you ask, they'll probably be willing to do it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, look. There's plenty of options if you if you want to go and experience a car. There's plenty of options, and um, probably a, a rental car. It's probably I haven't looked, but they're probably really cheap at the moment because there's no tourism going on. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of restrictions on them as well, I believe. Yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Um, so reasons. yeah, it's 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 obviously it's another opportunity to to you know experience a vehicle in a different way. Um, but, I think it's good. Sorry, just to um, just to get in and have a look at the mm. new Jeep uh, range too, actually, because they yes. they do have a few new vehicles now as well, the new compasses yeah. in and a few other bits yeah. and pieces. So still they worth poking your head in just to have a look. Yeah, and you know they've 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 spent a lot of time. On that, the Wrangler as well is obviously it's it's a huge step up over the previous generation. Um, yep. So it's it's probably they've needed a bit of reinvigoration um, over a little while. Yeah, but, with the new products that have come back. Yeah, yeah, but it's yeah. I've always I've always had a soft spot for Jeep in general. Um, cause Just a side note, products. I was I was I was disappointed how less ugly they made the uh, Cherokee Sport. Because <laughs> I quite like the trailer hawk, it was yeah, ugly and it did yeah, a really good job. Yeah. But yeah, yeah anyway, would so, uh, go experience them, go drive one. I think uh, for some reason I don't see many on the road. I, I don't know if they've had a bit of a, a rocky time with some of the news um, and reliability in the past, but um, in general they they make a good looking product anyway. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, but one thing, and it probably would be a good thing to see in uh, t- to see in rental cars. Maybe we see it as a as part of a rental spec vehicle. But Hyundai looks like uh, they're planning on using ultra ultraviolet or UV light globes um, to sterilize interiors of cars. Um, so it could be something where, as much as you know, if you it, it has that you lock the car and you walk away, it will turn that light on and sterilize the vehicle whilst you're not there. And then when you come back, you've got a, a nice and sterilized car. Obviously, you know, some of the things they know. With the windows covered in bugs. Yeah, that's uh. right. Um, but, you know, it, it's not going to be effective, you know, in places where the light obviously doesn't reach. Um, yep. I'm sure there's ways, you know, you can get around that. Um, but in terms of it, it looks like, you know, they're thinking in a different way of rather than just, I don't know, It's is this something that we're going to see in car design moving forwards where they're thinking about, well, how can we clean something which, you know, let's be honest, some people drive around in some pretty grotty cars. Oh, um, you know, yes. Is this a step from a manufacturer? It's kind of like, you know, is this one of those things where I don't know why more car manufacturers don't just build in a dash cam as, you know, in fact, from factory. Um yeah, you know, yep. is it is it going to be some of these things that we see in design future, not just from Hyundai? Obviously, you know, it takes someone to to implement the idea or at least come up with the idea first, and then everyone else goes, "Hey, that's a pretty good idea. We're going to borrow that." Thank you. Um, 
because it seems yeah. like at the end, you know on the surface it goes oh yeah that really makes a lot of sense to have just an ultraviolet light in the car. I, yeah, I think that's that last point that you made is probably the most important. It's it sounds like it makes sense. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's not a massively um, expensive cost to have, no. but it sounds. Well, I, I, I can't say it's definitely going to be a cheap thing to do, but the the point is that it sounds like it would do the job really well, mm. and that sometimes mm. is enough. If, even if it does the job, pretty good. Um, yeah. Just having it makes it sound like you've got something that's mm. important, mm. and then if you don't have it, they're like, "Well, why haven't got this UV light thing that somebody else has got?" You know, like they talk about. Um, the is it survival mode or something they call it in the Teslas? Ah, uh, the biohazard. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 they, like, they, yeah, yeah. They got a pollen filter. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it is. All it is is just a HEPA filter. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 it's, it's about cool, talking it's it up and using that, that right brand. It, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it, actually, if I can just diverge quickly, when we talk about autopilot. Um, <laughs> So everybody's talking about autonomous cars. Tesla has autopilot. People who are salty sea dogs like myself, okay, I was in the Navy for a couple of years, but I can't really sail. Um, know that an autopilot is something that just steers a ship, but you can still run into shit stuff. Mm. Excuse mm. me. You can mm. still run into a reef, all that <laughs> sort of thing. Now I can't use the clean tag. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Sorry. <laughs> Beat well, me I out later. talk about um, UV lights. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but you know, like the the tag that you put on something can have yeah. um, a specific connotation. So um, you know, the um, what would you, what did you call it again? Not the survival mode, whatever the, the filter was, the biohazard thing. Um, while technically accurate, um, everybody hears it and goes, "Wow, that's a really fancy name." It probably does more than what it really is. Um, so. I don't know, what are we going to call the UV light globe that's going to make it sound super yeah. exciting and fantastic? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the UV beam germ eradicator or something like that. Yeah, or well, we call it the bug zapper here in Australia. So, <laughs> Yeah, that's right. You're going to look like a 1980s butcher. Um, but my, my question is, is, so obviously UV is not – it. obviously it's great at killing things um, like germs, but – one of the big challenges with cars is obviously, like, you know, we see it with dashes from yep. you know, the 70s and 80s and things like that. The UV th- wreaks havoc on things that haven't been UV treated. So I yep. guess the complication, which maybe doesn't affect a new car as much, but definitely as the car gets older, is the side effect of going, well, how does the yeah, you've you know, been if you have a UV, on, UV rays. Yeah, how yeah. does the seats handle that? How do the, the interior plastics handle that um, if you're yeah. bathing the whole thing rather than, you know, the sunlight that gets in through the windows, which if you put tinting on and all that kind of thing helps, you know, filter that. Yeah. Um, but what happens if you're basically over the period of life of the car, every now and again you're blasting with UV light, what does that mean for the for the interior? What has to change yep. in those material makeups to make it more resistant to UV? So that's that's probably a thing where you go, well maybe that's why it hasn't been done yet because of these things and that can add a lot of cost to a car. And you know, obviously yeah, yeah. they are, are not your super cheap vehicles anymore, but they're still all about delivering good value. And how can you continue delivering good value if it means that, you know, particularly when they have such long warranties, you know, to like seven year warranties, um, obviously they're going, they're thinking, well, can we warrant yeah, something like that gonna... over that period of time? Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, um, I'm not a doctor, uh, but <laughs> that certainly sounds. You know, I, I I agree with you with your reasoning there. I mean, I remember seeing a a Ford Sierra somehow got. Uh, imported to what um, I was in Wagga Wagga at a used car yeah. dealership, believe it or not, and saw a Ford Sierra in there. Uh, this is in like the mid 90s, yep. and its dash looked like an overcooked hot dog. Wow, you know, when you have a hot dog and you just yeah. keep boiling it, yeah. that's exactly what its dash pad looked like. It really was not built for the for the region, so no amount of armor all is going to fix that. <laughs> no, no, but I guess you build things for the region, um, and I assume that there's been great advances in the. Um, UV resistance for for interiors. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm hoping they're past that particular risk, but I'm sure that's um, something that'll be well, definitely be thought about. Thought of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Not one of those things yep. where they've implemented it. Ah, oh, damn, we didn't think about that. Um, yeah. So anyway, it's. It, I think on paper it's a good idea. Um, yep. Obviously, there's a few practical things to think about um, implementing something like that and even maintaining safety because there's a reason why um, tanning beds are not legal here in Australia anymore. Um, oh, could you imagine that? Having to sleep in your car after too many schooners and <laughs> that's right. Waking up, yeah. waking up with sunburn the next morning. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> It'd throw you for a loop. That's for sure. <laughs> um, so, and also you got to think about pets and everything like that. Like UV is one of those things where there's a you know, they have to think about it a little bit more um, rather than just going, let's just do something which uh, kills germs. Um, yep. And in terms of, uh, I think, uh, I, could you, I don't know, I think we'll, we'll skip the segue because I, there's a couple of ways you can put it. But essentially, um, so the Holden <laughs> departure um, I don't want to call it debacle, but essentially the the situation that's going on at the moment with General Motors and, and the dealers um, has yeah. has hit a bit of a stalemate, and it's it it's obviously annoying a lot of people. I think General Motors are quite annoyed that you know dealers unhappy with the compensation that's been offered, um, and vice versa, and um, and and so. A, a senator in a speech, um, so Queensland Senator James McGrath offered to buy the Holden brand from the US giant General Motors for $1. Um, and whilst on one side, it, it, you know, and we, we spoke about it just before we started recording, um, you know, there's a there's one side of where you go, his point was, you know, it's basically saying, look, General Motors don't obviously hold, you know, don't value the brand, don't value the people that worked for the brand or the dealers, you know, that supported the brand throughout all that time and yep. thus, you know, offering a dollar, you know, that's because that's what they see as all it's worth. But also at the same time, I He's saying took, it's worth I a dollar. I took the opposite and I said, oh, I think that's a bit insulting because he only thinks it's worth a dollar. Um, yep. So, but I think it, it's just the, the never-ending saga of um, – of you know the Holden exit, and I and I think it's probably for everyone involved. They would rather not having this thing uh, drag out so much. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's a um, it's yeah, a debacle. I think is probably a, a suitable term because I mean, well, I'm now at the point where um, looking at it and just thinking, oh, when, when will this end? Mm. Um, 
and it's it's unf- I feel I really feel for the dealers, particularly I recall last year uh, when Holden were talking about the uh, dealership of the future, and I did see a few dealers um, put their hands in their pockets and update their dealership to mm-hmm. represent that new dealership of the future with the mm-hmm. the new branding, the silver buildings and the, the new signage and the new designs inside and a whole bunch of money mm. um, that they invested. And essentially, the um, while the compensation um, offer that they're putting forward, when you say to face value, it sounds good. So it's based on the, um, the high level of sales they're achieving at the run-out mode for VF, so the end of yeah. the... Australian manufacturing, so the, the sales were were up there. They were kind of good. Well, the <laughs> VF was a top ten car at that point. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was, um, and, and it really it did um, have a couple of years where it was going down, and then the announcement of the closure, it went back up again, and it was sort of in that middle part where Holden is saying, uh, where General Motors are saying, okay, this is when you guys were doing well. We're going to base our um, compensation payment to you guys on that era when you were doing well. Mm-hmm. But, and I, you know, I, I wasn't a fly on the wall, so I couldn't hear exactly what General Motors or Holden was saying to the dealers um, prior to the, the closeout announcement. But my understanding is that for justification of these dealers to put their hands in their pockets and go to the dealership of the future update for their dealers you Mm. know for the you know going to this extra effort to make it look new and exciting and all that sort of stuff you'd you'd have to assume that they were talking up growth in sales not an ability to maintain the sales that they had three years ago absolutely so you know there were i think 203 showrooms nationally um and like this is going to be one of those things where it's going to be a great business case um for mba students around you know in america and here and looking at what happened because when you look at it there's there's a a few conflicting things going on and and which really i think makes this quite quite interesting um as a case because obviously there was a lot of like we're talking with the the dealer of the future and even corvette incoming and everything like that there's a lot of optimism for the brand and you wouldn't have that optimism for the brand if general motors was losing interest in supporting the market um but at the same time if you look at a few of the other things that happened during that, you know, that same timeline that was all happening, you had yep. a few key people leaving the brand. And at that, if you looked at it, the news at that point, you go, okay, yeah, that person's just decided to move on. But when you look at it retrospectively and you look at the type of person, uh, the, I can't remember the name escapes me right now, but essentially it was almost like a, you, if you look back at it now, you can apply the the idea of well, they saw what was coming, they tried to change it, nobody wanted to listen, and so they left. Um, yep. And so there seems to be there were two different, completely different sides, both on General Motors and at Holden Australia, where one half of those teams were working as if you know the revitalizing the brand, regrowing the brand, investing. And the other ones are going, yeah, look, this isn't a great idea. We, we've got to find a way out. Um, yeah, I think so. Because it's so conflicting because the sales and the models, you could see that models were getting – some models were getting long in tooth and we weren't seeing um, 
right around the VF closure, closure the, the the hold and ads were all about we've got, you know, 20 new models coming and they were hyping up, yep. you know, all of these things which were coming in. You know, for me, I was like, oh, this is cool. This is going to be great. I'd love to see what what they've got planned. But then when they were slowly sort of missing those milestones as well at the same time as, you know, time went on, it's like, oh, okay, so where that, you know, again, that's the indication of, well, that's obviously the, the money isn't flowing through to, to get those, you know, those engineer yep. vehicles over to Australia. Um, I, I know too, like, I mean, I've, I've worked with a few um People from Holden over the years, like I've, yeah. I've known a few engineers too that have that have left Holden. I've worked with them as well. Um, yeah. I've worked with a couple of ex Ford engineers when I was in mining. Like you know, so you can see where the engineers go after they've yeah. been working in the local manufacturing industry. And all the guys, there was one guy in particular who was just so passionate about Holden. He was. Mm absolutely in love with the company he was a uh, production engineer uh he had a um he had an astra uh vxr so the, the later model yeah uh, actually he had the opal one before they um yeah. come out as a whole version mm-hmm. yeah yeah and he um you know using his position as a production engineer knowing all the bits and parts and mm-hmm. supplies and stuff he was getting bits and pieces from all over the gm empire to build a essentially a little vxr hot rock he, he got it as fast cool. as he could reliably get yeah. it you know um but he had stuff like you know he'd grown up with like uh you know supercharged cars and monaros and things mm-hmm. like that you mm-hmm. know a real geelong boy yeah um that real old school sort of car culture type thing yeah and when he come and uh worked for another company that I was working for. He was still passionate about the job that he was doing because that was just the kind of guy that he was. But you could mm. see when he was talking about Holden how much he really loved being in that role. And all of those people with those attitudes that loved the business and were doing everything off their back to make sure that it would keep going and, you know, all of that emotional investment in, you know, something that had been mm. in the country for 100 years, mm. you know, realistically, you know, sort of manufacturing uh, cars for, for sort of 60 or 70 years. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't – the public don't see those faces. And I, no. I, when they're looking at the Holden brand now, they're looking at, like we're saying, you know, this debacle here where it's a bit of a stink fight over compensation for mm. Mm. Um, how much money somebody spent to, to build up their dealership, which is a valid complaint for sure for the, for mm. the dealers. Mm. Um, it just looks like a bit of a muck fight left at the end, which is really a kick in the teeth. To those other people who got lost in the background, you know, did a lot of emotional investment and now have nothing. That's why I was surprised that when um, Holden Australia or General Motors made that statement hitting back, you know, countering those claims which the dealer association had made about, you know, the Holden dealers had made about, you know, what they believed their compensation should be. I, when I read that statement, I was kind of shocked at how blunt it was and how, you know, it was kind of like airing that private conversation that should have happened and they just put it out to the public expecting to get, you know, sympathy in a way. And, and unfortunately I think, um, 
they obviously ignored anything that the PR people said they probably should put into that <laughs> that release because it's like for, for yeah. a brand who said that, you know, at that press release announcing the closure, they still want to have some sort of presence, whether it's General Motors special vehicles yep. or anything like that. It doesn't really feel like they're, they're giving Holden a really good send-off by dragging it through the mud and airing everything and then still yeah. wanting to turn Just, around and say, This is no oh, longer a... But we still care. We want to sell, you know, whether it's through a partnership with Walkinshaw or something like that. Oh, we still want to have a presence. We still care. When yeah. you're kind of going about it, even though, yes, it's it's valid to have these disagreements and have these things about wanting to get, you know, what the value should be. That always happens in, in business negotiation. You know, that's, that's what's going to happen regardless. But I I was just so shocked that Holden or, you know, General Motors didn't take the high road in that response and and said, look, you know, and kind of put something fluffy around it because that's kind of what I expected and it would have done better to preserve at least their image, the Holden image, and any sort of potential future image because I think now people, unfortunately, all they're going to think about is that how – you know, at the moment, the you know the perception is doesn't matter what the reality is, but the perception is is that General Motors screwed Holden dealers and yeah, well, it's, the customer. It's, you should probably highlight there too that I mean because <clears throat> you know they've always talked about car dealers or used car dealers and their reputation in their level yeah. and where they sit in the rungs between politicians and policemen and the like yeah. um, whether that's fair or not yeah. uh, varies from dealership to dealership I must say to be honest mm-hmm. um, but um, in this fight in this squabble in this conversation it's now whether or not it's still Holden or whether it's just General Motors behind the face of Holden because mm-hmm. that's you know maybe the perception that somebody's having um, against dealers, but it's now against Australian dealers. So it's now US against Australia. It's mm-hmm. very, very hard to fight that fight. I would imagine from from yeah. the Holden perspective. But mm-hmm. like you say, you know, if they if they put some fluffiness around it, um, they've only got to be um, higher than the level of the dealer association. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, you know, it's all about being tactful and how you convey a message and you push some push a message and it, you know, you could take the cynical view and and go, well, this is probably why the Holden product line, you know, the current product lineup and and how it's seeing is because General Motors didn't know how to support the Australian brand because they just didn't get it and how they're handling in it right now could be the perfect sort of proof of going they just didn't get it they they didn't understand yep. um what we wanted what we needed um and there were certainly people excited about the brand still it wasn't that people didn't care about holden any, anymore and people had moved on there was still very much a, a passionate group um but it was just you know maybe you could say well this is proof that General Motors today doesn't say they couldn't do it before, but the the current state of General Motors just didn't know how to engage the dealers properly, engage and and thus you know engage the Australian market. Even though the yeah. Holden stuff that I you know through booking um, press vehicles and everything like that, they were great. I I really love dealing with Holden. They did a their press fleet was excellent. Yep. Um, you know, they did a lot of things to support some of the stuff we did 
particularly during you know some of the later peak. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it kind of yeah, maybe this is just the the perfect example of how it didn't work because there was just no under no real understanding. Um, I just I just oh, don't think we're not big enough for them to care to be honest. No, but I don't I understand mean, they, what you know when General Motors releases a, a statement and says you know in part of that statement they go well look we got somebody else to to say that it's actually only a quarter of what it should be. It's kind of like a sibling going well they did it last time look you know and it, it's yeah. it's going yeah so what what they think it doesn't matter because no one's going to agree with that. It doesn't make yep. you look good because you're just trying to pull proof, you know, that, well, it's not as bad as what somebody else thinks, even though, you know, so even though some... Oh, I it, think, does, it does get into that space, doesn't it, about yeah. the um, the politicians doing negative yeah. um, political ads against each other. It's yeah. very much of a he said, she said type yeah. setup, and yeah. um, it's it, it can only turn out badly when you, when you start heading down that path, I think. Yeah. Which is a shame again because I'm, I still think that Holden, there are still people in there somewhere in the background mm-hmm. now. Whoever's still holding on, trying to keep some some things going, you know, trying to, mm-hmm. you know, in the face of this sort of um, public, um, I wouldn't say scrutiny, but you know, the, the sort of public opinion that they're getting now, yeah. they must really still love the company to still be in there, keeping the doors open and the lights on to be able to yeah. do the, whatever support activities mm-hmm. have to happen in that background. And I just feel for them sitting in the back there getting mm-hmm. um, invisible darts thrown yeah. at them. You know, and look, I, I hope that also people understand is that yeah, it is. There's still local people working in that Holden side of the brand. It's yep. it's just the way that the relationship with General Motors works is that there's a lot of other influence that you know basically shapes what Holden could and couldn't do um, because you know they were very much reliant on you know that relationship there, just like how you know whatever General Motors special vehicles turns out to be, or if it you know maybe it doesn't end up happening at all. Um, but whatever that ends up to be, whoever whoever is managing that relationship is going to be at the beck and call of General Motors and what they decide they can and can't have, um, yeah. and what price point they're able to do it at to be competitive. Because don't forget, like, the, and this is what we saw with the Camaro and the Mustang. Now in the states, they're on equal footing when it comes to the models, you know, in terms of yeah. pricing and everything like that. But here, it was drastically different. Um, and that was because yeah. HSV was hamstrung by what they could buy the vehicle at, you know, plus adding the conversion cost onto that. So they had a lot of things working against them, even though they were, even though they were able to turn out a good product. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah how, are you, how are you supposed to compete when, exactly. you know, in the US, Camaro versus Mustang is Falcon versus Commodore. So, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So look, it's it's. I, I don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon. I think the coronavirus, which also you know what the the senator kind of hinted at, is that they've been using this as a little bit of a um, an a excuse to not really yeah. get things resolved to keep things moving. Which look on some point, I go, yeah, that's fair. Um, but at the same time, um, yeah, it, I don't think we're going to see any resolution um, anytime soon. So I think it's just one of those things. Stay tuned. Even though I probably feel that it'd be ideal, you know, from an Australian perspective, end of financial year um, would t- make things nice and tidy. Um, but you know, yeah, it is what it is, and we'll probably, uh, yeah, be a bit longer to see that. 
But uh, on to let's let's talk about something exciting um, internationally. So apparently, Toyota made a bit of a slip up um, by inadvertently confirming the Corolla or at least a Gazoo Racing version of a hot hatch. Um, so yep. we talked no, about I, it a little I while ago. I still think it's going to be the Prius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all-wheel drive, two-litre hybrid Prius. Hey, look, all the, uh, the hypercars are all um, yep. hybrids, so it makes sense. <laughs> I look forward to seeing the Prius at Le Mans. That'll be amazing. <laughs> Actually, it, it kind of would be. I, I'd love to see one at Bathurst. Imagine... Uh, They'd imagine how long stints they'd be able to have. You couldn't. It's just like, it's like trying to do a running race on a pogo stick because you know it's got a very high roof. It's a great little car for the, for their job, but it's no. Just make it a Prius C. There you go. Yeah, it'll oh, yeah, be all right. Yeah, no. Okay, back to back to the Corolla. <laughs> so again, this and we, we put it underneath um, the the international news simply because it is the Toyota USA basically confirming that it's going to happen. Um, but, you know, at the extent of it, people are going, look, we kind of expect that to, you know, if the US is going to get a Toyota vehicle, then particularly given that, it, you know, they're a Japanese company, they make right-hand drive vehicles in Japan, by extension, we, you know, we kind of expect that we're going to get it here. Um, but saying that, we don't get the Tundra. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> So, yeah. but yeah, look, the um, I remain hopeful. I'm still. It's it's going to be using so Toyota executives from Japan. This is from the article on uh, on car sales. Toyota executives from Japan previously said it would be a waste to use the 1.6 liter engine in only one vehicle, cementing the likelihood of that engine in the larger hot hatch, which is I, I think it's a fair bow to draw. That's not yeah. that's not too long. Um, I. D- 1.6 i know it's going to be good i know it's got a heap of power and it's going to rev like crazy man. yeah it's going to sound nuts have, have they talked about a red line on this thing it's got to be up sort of eight or nine thousand rpm i'd, I'd imagine but well, it may be boost related who knows give, yeah given though given you know like we we're saying with the camry the the newly found refound rediscovered personality that toyota has um and, and given that these slow, you know, these three-cylinder engines that manufacturers are outputting now are just nuts um, in terms of yep. you know the power output, the revving range, um, I think it's I think it's safe to assume unless they're going to go for a real like this could be arguably more exciting than the eighty-six, the Supra, or anything else they could put out because if they really let it fly in in what the potential this you know the engine has. Um, yeah, bucket of fun, regardless, you know, of what it is. Um, it's going to feel fast in that car. Yeah, and I, oh, I don't know, all-wheel drive, it's going to be auto for sure. Yeah. I just, you know, they're talking about it being an i30N competitor, but yeah, one of the great things, um, as you were talking about um, earlier, we were talking about the i30N and how much fun it is not necessarily mm. just because it's a manual, but mm. that is a big part of driving that car is is the gear shift, yeah, getting the timing right, getting the power delivery right, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think those those additional aspects of driving the car really make the difference as far as yeah. um, personal enjoyment go. You know, you're talking about the uh, the M two three five before about how 
it's it goes fast. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few uh, grey areas in the uh, transmission ratio as you were talking about, etc. But um, it doesn't have the same level of theatre. I'm just, I'm hoping, and I guess with a three, a three cylinder putting out 180 kilowatts, it, well, it'll probably because, have because the Yaris GR puts out 190. Oh, sorry, yeah, 190. So, so you know, I, but still, <laughs> I just, I'm just concerned that the 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 theatre behind it is going to be what's allowed not what yeah, you create because yeah. you're still going to be within the constraints of the drivetrain and the um the gearbox holding mm-hmm. what's going to happen you know you have a little bit less control over it so and, and i think that's one of the things that i've found with um even driving the um the new commodore that came out which is a v6 all-wheel drive same v6 as i've got in my 2016 SV6. Now, my wagon isn't as fast as the new one, mm-hmm. but it's more fun to drive. Yeah. And it's not, oh, you know, it's just because you've got to pay attention and you've got to be in control and and all that sort of stuff. And I just, I'm worried about modern cars getting to the extent where, yes, they're faster, but people don't drive cars to drive super fast. They drive yeah. to feel like they're driving mm-hmm. fast. You don't have, like, I'm, I'm, I don't have a stopwatch. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. like drive along <laughs> yeah. from here to Kenworth and back and time myself mm. and see how fast I go mm. because that doesn't matter to me. And I I think a lot of people that get out and drive on the roads these days um, aren't even going to be looking at trying to get the absolute best time unless it's for mm. bragging rights when it comes mm. to horsepower and the like. You really should be, you know, trying to focus on a car that feels good to drive, not necessarily a car that's built just for a great amount of speed. <laughs> This this may be an absolute hoot and a complete um, barrel of laughs, but I'm just, yeah, concerned. We'll see how it goes, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I'd, I'm just trying to picture a, a car like that, you know, what it would sound like and, and how it would behave, given that I, I really haven't experienced that from a Toyota vehicle. I'm just so used to an ultra-practical yeah. kind of you know, car um, yeah. that it's, you know, it's just hard to hard to imagine um even though i feel like they could absolutely do it um but yeah it's just i'm trying to picture what that would be and i just i'm I'm having trouble (laughs) you know when we're um we're talking before about the local tuning and the value of having local tuning and the like there's obviously no mention of that here um because no specific clarification that it's going to be coming here anyway um but what did you think of the tune have you you've driven the 86 Yes. Did you think that I, – I thought they could have gone a little bit more on the 86. It was a great fun car to drive, but I yeah. felt like once you got into the corners and you're sort of getting around the, the edge of the corner and your corner speed that I, I wanted a little bit more feel at the edge. Mm-hmm. It sort of went away a little bit at the edge. And, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm wondering if maybe there's going to be a, a, a little gap here in the GR if they don't do some local um, some local tuning? Yeah, I think I, I think Toyota really it, it's it's a gap for Toyota, I think in general, like what we were saying with the Camry, I think it's just one of those places where it, it wouldn't hurt them to really do that um, to a greater extent or you know, at all. Um, yeah. because I see the thing with the eighty six is that I really enjoyed it. Um when I drove it, but I found it the suspension. It was too hard in places where, when it it, it 
shouldn't have been to too be. hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, was that like the GDS? Yes. You'd With feel the sacks. Yeah, I like every, that. <laughs> you'd, you'd feel every single bump when yep. any other, you know, sports-orientated vehicle, like, you'd feel it, but you wouldn't, I don't know, just it wouldn't be jolty. It wouldn't, it be wouldn't rattle your teeth. You'd just yeah. be aware it was there. Yep. Um, even though, like, there was – I. Whenever I had one, I had I, I put a ton of Ks on it because um, I was I was reviewing those vehicles through um, another bit of work that I was doing. So I was borrowing dealership cars, and um, I'd always get surprised when they'd let me take the car because I'd know that I'd put a decent amount of kilometers on it. Yeah. Um, in the days that I'd have it, and um, yeah, it was just one of those ones where I it 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 just needed a little bit more a little bit more something to it to make me really just fall in love with it yeah um even though like it's it's still a great car for the price um yep. if you want a you know a two door coupe for what if i'm it, honest i could drive that back and work bike back and forth to work every day yeah <laughs> I could you do know, it. I actually really like that tune. Like but the driving position is great. Yeah, it revs great to it. Like it, it's, and this is coming back to it. You can rev through. You can go through the gears, um, really well for the speed limits which you drive yep. in. You yep. can actually have fun with it, and I think that was the whole point about the '86 in general. Was it was a very usable sports car. You know, you can fold down the seats and fit in, you know, track tires to go to the track, and then you know, come back. Um, it did a lot of those things. It was just that I think they never really pushed that development any further. We didn't see anything else um, really it change. Like a hardcore version or. No, yeah. then everybody, you know, the aftermarket did the turbos. The aftermarket did, you know, the suspension and everything like that. But we never really, and I wonder if we'll see it, you know, as that car, because they still sell the car now. But I wonder if we'll see like a last hurrah, like, you know, here's what, you know, we let the, the toy oh, here's the turbo. go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> put like, the turbo on right at the end. Yeah. We let them go and um, <laughs> see what it could really, you know, achieve from a factory point of view. Um, you know, sort of like a last hurrah of going, here's a here's a $50,000 variant of it. You know where, what I'd like? I'd rather like, I'd, I'd like the Camry 2.5 in it. Yeah. <laughs> just, I mean, it doesn't sound exciting, but um, a bit of head work and a bit of cam work and mm-hmm. just have a bigger capacity, normally aspirated engine. I think that would suit that car really well. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I love the boxer engine in it. I, I love the sound. It did pump a little bit of artificial sound into it, but I never, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't really have an issue with that. Like, I don't really care. Um, it doesn't really put me off for it because you just pretend you know you just drive as if it is and it makes you feel more important um, I the windows down most of the time yeah, anyway yeah like driving driving 86 through mount glorious is a is a great experience um yep. particularly when the roads are a little bit wet you can have a little bit of fun in that car without making it dangerous um you know you can enjoy it a little bit more than you know a lot of higher powered vehicles yep. um and which I think massive brakes on that gds too yeah <laughs> that were magic so I think yeah, it's it's one of those things where Toyota have been improving a lot with you know inputting that that personality and I keep calling it personality of going we you know we have a bit more fun you know it doesn't have to be super boring to you know I don't know yep. you know what I mean you get it don't, you don't have to make your appliances like appliances no no 
Yeah. But um, we'll just touch on quickly before we, because we'll, 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 we've got a lot of motorsport just to, well, we, we can sum we can summarize it really quickly, but the discussion that can, can flow from that is obviously the more important. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, we'll just touch on, so it seems like uh, the, the new highlights, which we discussed actually last week, um, is del- is apparently delayed indefinitely um, because dealers all over are just way overstocked to the old model. Um, so there's twofold of that. One, it's disappointing we're not seeing the updated highlights anytime soon. Yep. The next one is obviously the indirect result of that is um, obviously Toyota want to recoup their their R and D and you know the development cost on that new Hilux, so they're not going to sit on it forever. Which means there's probably going to be a lot of really good deals on current Hiluxes. Um, if you're going to a Toyota yeah. dealer and you need a pickup, you know this is kind of a uh, a hard luck story for for Toyota, but it, it reminds me of when I bought a car from a dealer, brand new car, thirty something thousand dollars, um, and then on the way home, when after we'd picked it up, my wife called me and said I'll have to pull over because I need to put fuel in the car. And they hadn't given me a full tank of fuel with it because oh. the guy said, because he rang me up at the, a, a couple of days later and said, mm-hmm. hi, this is just a follow-up call. How are you going? Blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, mate, I just spent 35 grand and you didn't fill my tank. Yeah. What's the story? <laughs> and he goes, oh, yeah, that was one of the ideas that one of the guys came up with because we've been selling so many cars. It was costing us so much in fuel every month. Oh, wow. like, you know what? Tell me your hard luck story about having yeah. too many sales. <laughs> and this, I guess, sorry Toyota, but I mean, this is the same problem. You've got the number one selling car in the country. Um, you know, this is this is one of the issues of having cars that sell so much. When there becomes a, um, a stop in sales, the people who are selling the most are the ones that suffer the most from the yeah. from the loss in sales. So, yeah. um, sorry Toyota, that's what you get for being popular. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, um, that updated Toyota uh, Hilux, the new model, needs to come soon because they need more power. Because every time I get one to test, my father-in-law always loves to fly up the mountain away from me whenever it's a, <laughs> a steep hill or something. He always outpowers me. I'm like, I mean, you're not going to outpower a 200 series um, V8 turbo diesel, but no. he just leaves me in literally a cloud of smoke, which is a shame. <laughs> so <laughs> come on, you Hilux. So, yeah. well, I guess uh, yeah, people go buy, and hi- buy a new Hilux so uh, Mick can enjoy a more powerful Hilux. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. a nutshell of your story. Do it for the team, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. Uh, but look, probably the most interesting thing is on the tongue, tips of uh, most people's tongues is motorsport news and Formula One. Formula One is... Yeah. Silly season is yet to technically arrive, um, It's but it, it's arrived it's a lot done. earlier. Finished. Um, it's done. Um, it's so, in case you've been living under a rock and you haven't been reading the news, so Vettel is leaving Ferrari in 2021. Uh, Carlos Sainz is going to Ferrari and leaving McLaren. And to fill that empty McLaren seat and joining Lando Norris is Daniel Ricciardo. Um, and all of these announcements happened within a few hours of each other. Um, and don't you find that odd? Yeah, I think. I, look. Take the tin or put the tinfoil hat on and go. I think it was yep. all organized before it went out. It oh, yeah, absolutely. But I'm trying to figure out why they would have because you know, there's a obviously, there's a everybody's starving for F1 news, 
yeah. something exciting. But it, as soon as Vettel was out, you know, oh, science wasn't in straight away, but it was it was very quickly sorted out, and then yeah. Ricardo sorted out very quickly after that. It was basically, the, in in my mind, too fast for anybody to have any negotiations going on. If you know oh, what I mean, yeah. like yep. Yep. the news hits, and then. You know, all of it was the just driver all. managers and, you know, we had a couple of articles, you know, around, you know, coming out, oh, as soon as Vettel leaves, all the driver managers were on the phone to Ferrari. But by that point, it was already too late, I think. Um, yeah, it was already done, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, <laughs> why, would you feel, not, feel, why would you not spread it out, though? The only I person who benefits out of it being such a short story cycle is Vettel because everyone can't say, oh, he's gone, what's going to happen next? You know, there was no speculation. There was no time for that. It was all just... No. Well, even s- the articles that came out after Vettel announced that he was, you know, that they were leaving and, you know, if it was a joint departure, that kind of thing. Basically, the, the news articles coming out were basically saying, you know, there was some speculation, but it was like, Sainz was probably going to go to Ferrari, makes sense. And, well, that means, you know, there's an empty seat at McLaren. Even though Australians would, would love to see Ricardo go to Ferrari, I think that would have, you know, that would have been a, would have been a great partnership. Um, but, yeah, I I guess it... I don't know. It it's it's it is strange, but at the same time, I'm kind of glad that we don't have 50 million news pieces talking about you know speculation, um, and we just kind of you know. So really, yeah. only, specu- only news speculation we have at the moment is what is going to happen with Vettel. Is he going to retire, um, or is he you know is he going to go to Mercedes, or you know is he willing <laughs> to to go down to a team or something? Yeah, so and and what's crazy is that we we're getting these confirmations and these changes for the 2021 season and we haven't even had a single race in 2020. Yep. So we're not even we're not halfway through a season, we're not you know we're not heading into a break and you know this is when all the shifts are going to happen. It's like these drivers, these three drivers so far haven't even, you know, had one race in this season and they're already committed to another team afterwards. And so yep. you kind of have to feel in the back of your head, like how how does that dynamic going to work um, when all of these teams, the, the regulations don't change in 2021. It's going to be the same vehicle. So how does the development work for the th- that individual driver? Does the team just stop developing them? Like what, I wonder what happens from that point of view. Um, yeah. Even though I, I guess from Ferrari's point of view, they probably don't see much value in the, you know, they're, they're not probably desperate for information from McLaren that science could bring. Um, no. Maybe, and I don't even think Renault would be, you know, oh, sorry, McLaren would be interested in what Ricardo brings from, from Renault maybe. Uh, well, they um, beat him, so what do they care? Yeah, so like it's kind of year. it's kind of funny because it's not even like a it's these teams really don't have to worry about protecting knowledge from them um, because I don't think there's going to be much of a transfer when you could look at you know Science and Ricardo are moving back up the up the ladder. So unless Science has some look into the um, to the changeover to the um, Mercedes powertrain for McLaren, yeah, for True. the next season, uh, he might have a little bit there, but. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be anything too significant. It might just be down to the driver's skill. Who knows? Yeah. And um, imagine if we, you know, I think it'd be a long shot to see Vettel going to Mercedes and, and maybe Bottas going to to the number one spot in, in Renault, maybe. Um, but imagine, you know, mm-hmm. let's talk about hypothetical. What do you think a, a Vettel-Hamilton 
team, you know, team dynamic oh. might work. Oh, they they blow half their budget on tissues. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it would. I think two of the biggest is- like good drivers, but man, those two can whinge. Yeah, but I think I think Mercedes is probably the only team that we could actually afford to have both have of them both. race, and or yeah, of course, afford them both. But in terms of um, having you know being able to to have them both both race evenly compared to Ferrari, I think they're heavily leaning into Leclerc, and and obviously McLaren is going to. See, it's, I wonder how McLaren's going to go with Ricardo because obviously he will want to be the number one number driver. One, yeah. But at the same time, Lindo Norris is still developing, is very young as a driver. He has had some good results, not as good as Carlos Sainz. But, you know, at, at what point do McLaren... Yeah, absolutely rising star, the development? Yeah, absolutely. And great for PR as well. He's done a... He's, he, he has an excellent audience when, you know, with all of the streaming He's and everything. big on the moment, socials, yeah, yeah. Huge. <laughs> um, and that obviously brings value as well. But yeah. at, at, at the same time, uh, McLaren is going to have probably in 2021, regardless of how they perform, I think they're going to have all of the attention because when you have such charismatic, you know, these two personalities. Well, those two in the same room. They, yeah. They've already been clowning around when they haven't been on the <laughs> same right. team. That's when right. they're together, it's just going to be it's going to be chaos. It's going to be difficult, actually. For um, you know, do they try and maintain? A, there's a level of professionalism really comes to the fore when you're in the car, and like they say with most drivers, and I know they've said this about Ricardo as well. When that helmet yeah. goes on, he becomes a pure driver. He doesn't. Yeah. But I mean, you can still hear his his commentary. He's. Mm. Um, He's still having a good time in there, but he's absolutely become a driver. But what do you do with the with the team? Like, do you try and manage the personalities of those two guys who are just going to be all over the place? I mean, they're always pranking. He's always. I think you have to lean into it because if you look at yeah. the the Verstappen Ricardo relationship, Red Bull really made themselves the likable team. Um, yep. And they leaned into that that relationship, which both of them had. Obviously, it got a bit tense towards the end of it when you know that dynamic changed within the team itself. But yeah. if you if you look at it from a McLaren point of view, where you are, you have made huge leaps and bounds into your car development. I think Zach Brown has done a great job in developing that team and building that team. Yeah. Yes, I've had a couple of you know the Honda, Renault now going to Mercedes for engines. It hasn't been. You know, smooth. But the thing is, is that overall they're keeping improving. You know, they were the best of the rest last year um, as a team, and so they've got that happening. I think they're going to be. They could have a really competitive car this season, maybe next season as well. Um, and so, if you then have two drivers like that, all of a sudden you could be the crowd favorite um, outside of Verstappen, and you know his. <laughs> His insane following, um, but all of a sudden you're the guys that everybody loves, um, yep. and that does a great job for attracting sponsors. That does a great thing for for getting airtime for those sponsors. So all of a sudden you've just raised your profile because people like you as a team. Um, yep. And I think other teams like Williams, um, Renault, Who? Force India are really going to struggle because they don't have those big personalities on the team and all of it's going to be sucked up by McLaren, Mercedes, 
you know, and, and Verstappen kind of, you know, so it's, it's really clever from a business point of view, bringing in, you know, having two of the most likable drivers on the, on the grid, um, because it's going to mean that sponsors are going to love you and they're going to be willing to spend money with you depending, regardless of how well you're actually performing, you know, on the track. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially Uh, we're, we're assuring the team success irrespective of their car performance absolutely <laughs> because yeah. that's you know half the battle is the money so well, that's um, that's exactly right but let's um, not forget though you are both very talented drivers too oh, so absolutely yep yeah so well ricardo brings great he's he's got the experience now um and that's obviously something which lando norris can really you know he can benefit from um yep. as well uh yeah, so, but the question is, you know, so I think McLaren is going to be in a really good spot. This season should be good on for them as well, particularly when you do have, you know, a driver like Sainz. I guess from a headspace perspective, he knows where he's going the next season. He's got some assurance there. So he, I think he can enjoy the season a lot more and perhaps that leads him to performing better as well. Yeah. The car is there to support him where, yeah. you know, half the battle, we saw it with Vettel in a couple of seasons where once that head game, you know, it, it once a certain situation, the Leclerc situation last season, once it starts to affect you, that can affect your, your track performance. So yeah, it's going to mentally grind him down, didn't it? Yeah. And it, which was really yeah. sad to see because obviously, you know, I, I, some people didn't like Vettel, but I always felt like, you know, Ferrari was where, you know, was the right place for him. You know, I, I felt like he deserved to win a championship there because, you know, that was something that he really wanted to achieve because he wanted to emulate Schumacher, um, you know, in that regard. But unfortunately, it's just one of those things where it won't happen. Um, but you can also you know say, never say never because Kimi came back. Yeah, came back to Ferrari. Yeah, um, yeah, but obviously two different, very two different, very different types of drivers. But how many times have Ferrari drivers left Ferrari then come back to Ferrari? Because it's happened a number of times, um, even in recent history. Yeah, I don't think I, I always consider that Vettel has had a blessed career because he's always been put in the fastest cars. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm. It's no doubt he's a he's an excellent driver. He's an excellent racer, but I don't think he's at the same absolute ultimate level of drivers like Alonso. I put up that level. He's had some phenomenal years, and he's got a phenomenal talent and a real mm. natural way about the way he races as well. Hamilton absolutely is just an absolute freak. No doubt he's had a super fast car to keep him at the front of the pack as well. Yeah. But there's no. Um, there's there's no second guessing why he's beating Bot- Bottas mm. can you know consistently yeah. because he's a freak he's I mean he's a complete yeah. whinge bag as well but super fast um, unbelievable driver I've never put Vettel in that same level look um, let's get them on the same team and then we'll see how <laughs> then that solves oh, any question about anyone if you put you know it, it would be weird you know what I reckon Mercedes uniform but put them both together and I think the constructors championship would be done you know before the season it would even start that would be the winners and and then it'd be just you know who would be holding the constructor uh, the the drivers championship. You know what? Um, let's, let's fight about this. I reckon you could put. <laughs> I reckon you could put Bottas or keep him in the Mercedes, take Hamilton out and put Vettel in, and Bottas would be the faster driver. Oh, I don't know. I, I, like, I, look, <laughs> when you when you look at qualifying laps, 
I think that's a really good indication of just pure speed. And I think Vettel, even in the Ferrari, just we need people's stats in front of will will we'll be able to clarify this. But I, I think Vettel is a faster driver. Um, he's just probably in the last few years has been inconsistent. That's that's been his problem. Um, whether it's from emotional, you know, Azerbaijan is a really good example of that. Um, I think that's what has let him down is the like kind of like if you you know the unforced errors versus yep. or Ferrari strategy that the Ferrari it's, it's, it, <laughs> they've it's, had some shockers. It's like you know for anybody who follows college football in the US, it's like Clemson. They have the best offense, the best defense, but they just don't have any kickers, and it and it and it just baffles kills me how they can't recruit good kickers when they've got the best team in the country. Right. So it, it in the same thing, Ferrari, they, they are historically the most successful team ever, but for some reason they never get the strategy right. And I don't know why they can't get it right. It always seems to be whatever decision they make. It always is the wrong one. <laughs> it, it very rarely ever works out for them. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thought last year was going to be the year, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Yep. But and it was the closest they've been for a long time. Mm. Um, sure, they were cheating, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I did. I do think they did do a lot better strategy wise last year yeah. than the year before. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's so close. I know a guy who's a, um, an ex work colleague who's a big Ferrari fan, <laughs> and I do like to point out to him how badly they're going. Um, and it's, it gets worse the closer they get and the less that they haven't won. Yeah. Um, it just drives me crazy, uh, which I'm quite enjoying. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they're so close. Uh, you know, maybe with those two young drivers, Science and, um, and the clerk, they may become you know, untouchable in 2021. Well, I, but- think, I think it's probably for the it's, – <laughs> It's been a really long time since I've really had a relatively, um, I don't want to say inexperienced, but yeah, young. The team. level of success the drivers have had, you know, you're yeah. talking like two, two, you know, like a handful of podiums and a couple of wins. That's have they that's always had been. champions? Is this going to be the first time when they haven't had champions? I I don't know, but in terms of resume it's definitely you know the lightest when it comes to you know both yep. both drivers um which for ferrari i don't think it's going to be a big issue because you know on paper you know science has done really well with the cars that he's driven um you know he's one, had, po- one podium though yeah it, it feels like he should have had more yeah um particularly in the last couple of seasons with with mclaren um but yeah, I, I've always felt like that science has had more success than he's actually had. Um, yeah, true. Like, he's just one of those drivers you, you expect to have had, you know. But I think he's definitely going to see a lot more podiums at Ferrari, oh, for regardless, sure. you know, just because of the level of which they operate at versus, you know, the other teams. Um, but again, that could change with Ricardo and the McLaren. That, that you know, could be, you know, we, we're also thinking along the lines of as if everything stayed the same right now. And you just change the names 
in the seat. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, we haven't seen the season. We don't know where everyone's at because obviously we saw testing, but, you know, basically you could throw that out the door now um, of how relevant that, <laughs> yep. that information and data would be. Um, yep. So until even they're talking about, about a compressed calendar too, if you're doing yeah. more than one, if you're doing races every, even every weekend, let alone yep. um, compressing more over, over a right. week, yep. um, the reliability of the engines is going to be truly put mm-hmm. to, put to test. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of question marks. See, it's going to be like, a, and I'm sure there's going to be some drivers who have not handled the brake as well as others. Um, yeah, there's going to be some drivers who have, have really focused and really kept their, you know, their physical form, their mental form throughout this <laughs> yeah. time. And others, I've seen, like, I've seen Ricardo doing, um, what's it called? What's when you jump off walls and stuff? Oh, parkour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you see him and his friends doing that? That'll keep him fit. Yeah, sure. but, that, but that's what I mean. So, and then, you know, think about, I, I don't think, I, I don't picture um, uh, Raikkonen doing the same thing, even though he he, he is, a, I, I think, the pure definition of a professional driver. Um, yeah. I, I feel like he, <laughs> he would have been taking the, you know, this time off a little bit more easily, um, yeah. you know, a bit more relaxed compared to some other drivers. Well, I saw Science um, put up a, a video of his, you know, off-season antics. Mm. And he was giving a tour of his um, of his gymnasium in the house that he was in at the time. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't, he wasn't jumping around doing backflips and no. crashing plastic motorbikes or anything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, definitely, yeah, so yeah think- there's going to be a big gap there. Absolutely. So I think uh, we'll see. We'll see which um, which which teams have had to make their cars lighter to make up for the uh, the weight of the driver. <laughs> the extra <laughs> yeah. That's yep. it. yeah. Um, but look, yeah, it, I think it's finally good though, at least in 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 general, that we have had some. You know, we do have a bit more clarity about what those drivers are. Because I'm at one point, I'm, I kind of get tired of the what if articles. Um, yeah, driver. So I'm glad just to at least for now we know two of those seats. Obviously, the big question mark is what will happen with Vettel. Um, you know, so that's because it's funny. Once these top three seats, you know, these teams kind of solidify. There's not really many other options. I don't see. I don't see Vettel going to Williams. Um, so, look, <laughs> Taking over Robert Kubica's seat. Yeah, yeah that's it. I, don't, I think he'd rather um, quietly retire than you know take, have a stint. Yep. Have a stint at Williams. Um, <clears throat> even though you know, go back ten years, or probably you have to go back a little bit further than that. But uh, you know, a move to Williams would be a very good one. Um, yep. So yeah, it's. Uh, Obviously, there's still a lot more to happen, still a lot of seats that haven't been confirmed for that season, but it is one of those things where at least slowly, once those seats are locked up, we'll, you know, we'll have a bit better idea of what's going on. Um, but in terms of, we've spoken a couple of times now about, uh, we'll, we'll go back a bit lot more locally, um, mm. the celebrity race. Um that's happening yeah. for, the, for the supercars. So that we we have a confirmed list. Um, anybody that stands out to you? Anybody that tags you? Well, interest? you know, I was I was actually a little bit disappointed. I thought it was going to be like, um, 
you know, Glenn, actually, Glenn Ridge would have been good because he's actually super fast. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was thinking, you know, maybe Tony Barber, Alf from Home and Away, or yeah, something. You know, yeah, some yeah. some kind of wacky stuff. But they've they've gone some for real celebrities. sports. That what you're yeah, they've gone some for, <laughs> for sports celebrities. Well, they've got Carl Cox in there, which stood out to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, UK DJ. Um, but everyone else, we've got a couple of AFL stars. So I'll just go through the list. Uh, Jack Rewald. <laughs> Jack Viney, Jarman MP, so all AFL players there. Daniel Bowles from A-League. Peter Siddle and Brad Hodge from Cricket. Uh, Toby Price. Uh, what have we got? A couple of motocross guys. So Blake Williams, Dan Reed, and Chad Reed. Uh, this should be interesting. He's had a he's had a, uh, a spin in a supercar before, mm. and he's generally fast at everything. Yeah. Actually, most motocross guys are pretty fast once yeah. they put their their mind to just about anything. Anyway, but it'll be interesting to see how they go from a from a mm. sim space. Uh, Mick Doohan, uh It'll be interesting. I don't know how much sim sim time he's had exactly. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's they, pretty handy behind the wheel of a car. But, yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's all about when it comes to this, uh, how it translates into your time, the amount of time you spent in a sim um, versus driving an actual car. Nathan Hindmarsh. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how we go. I don't know. <laughs> he, he might be amazing. Uh, a couple of Olympians, so uh, Tom Slingsby, Jared Hughes, John Stevenson, uh, Matt DeGroote from Radio. Who's Matt DeGroote? He's on the, he's on the uh, radio show, isn't he? Yeah. Um, oh, it says radio uh, next to it. <laughs> Uh, Scott Pettis, a rally driver. That's kind of cheating. Uh, yeah, we got Steve Richards, Craig Lansdale, Compton all in there. Um, they'll be knocking each other's doors off and trading paint pretty consistently, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, Angus Tuavaro, uh, and Cody Taylor, so two uh, union boys there. Uh, they need to be I, um, the uh, your mate Lam- Zach Brown's there. Yeah, so, yeah. Zach Brown, Brad Jones, uh, uh, Brad Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Story. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so he's a supercars team owner. So yeah, no, it's not. Uh, Luke Egan, uh, surfer. So it's it's a it's a big grid, but it's it's going to be a lot of fun. I imagine it's on Tuesday night, I believe, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, Monday's Celebrity Night. He raced at Bathurst. Will begin at seven pm. Uh, so yeah, watch it on Fox Sports five oh six. I certainly will be in clearing the land room again, like I usually do when I watch uh, esports. Yeah. Uh, broadcast live on Supercars Facebook page, Twitch, and YouTube. So plenty of places to catch it. Uh, what What do you reckon it's going to be like? Is it just going to be um, an absolute um, door busting, you know, uh, demolition derby, or is it actually going to be some racing? You reckon it'll just split into a couple yeah. of packs? Yeah, I I don't know. Um, it could be fun. I think I'm surprised that they didn't really like. Obviously, that's uh, they didn't really play people. with it that much, did they? No, um, I would have expected a few random people, kind of like you know those celebrity races off um, off the when they do the Australian GP and you know, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but I guess that they know their market. You know, they're going rugby. AFL, you know, it's probably yeah, very much into yeah. the demographic um, of it, but it would have been nice to have a few more wild cards like Carl Cox. Like, it's it's funny, you, you see the list of all these sporting people and you go, <laughs> yeah, Carl Cox. Yeah. Um, right. Even though if, if you take it at a pure form of sim racing, that kind of thing, I'd probably expect the DJ would be more handy at that and probably more inclined to be doing that compared to anybody else. Um but I'm surprised they're not leaning into Zach Brown's McLaren 
link yeah. uh, for yeah. promotion. You know what I mean? Because um, it's because his connection is through United Autosports. Um, yeah. And, and the Walkinshaw stuff, yeah. So yep. I'm surprised that they're obviously they're they're linking it that way. But I would have thought that it would have achieved a bit more attention um, if you mentioned, yeah, you know, it's also the man, you know, the a manager for a Formula One team that's joining in. Given that they've used that Formula One connection, you know, to promote to other drivers like Lando Norris and that kind of thing. Um, where's, where's Ryan Walkinshaw? What's going on? Yeah, like there's a I few names that I would have expected. Um, I, uh, yeah, around um, Crennan as well. I don't. I thought the the commentators would be in there. Um, yeah, pit crew reporters. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe next time. Even Mark Scaife, you know, he's. I would have loved to have, to seen, you know, him doing it given that he you know he is the you know has been such a vocal port you know and, and, and crucial part of supercars it would have been good to see him participate as well yeah i haven't uh, seen him a lot in the uh, e-series component though so right. maybe he doesn't probably not uh, as excited a great deal of weight into it, it yeah <laughs> uh, he's probably got a few more important things about keeping supercars alive i'd, I'd imagine yeah yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so look that i guess it's understandable at one point but you know, he, he's for me because it's when I when I was growing up, he was you know the the face of supercars, V8 supercars. Um, you know, I got my first Xbox, and part of the bundle with um, included a, a book of Mark Scave, um, his biography. Oh, really? Yeah, because <laughs> um, it came with I think I got a, a rally game and Project Gotham, the original version in that bundle, and it was just like yeah, because it's like the Australian variant. It included um, his uh, I think it was Diary of a Champion. That, that was the book that included. Um, so yeah, for me, I, that would have been someone I would have liked to have seen in it, at least from a racing perspective. Yeah, I'd like to. I would have liked to have seen a few people who are famous for other things, but we know are fast. Yeah. Um, Kate Peck, I, I, I would have um, found interesting. I know she's a big motorbike rider. I'm pretty yeah. sure she likes going mm-hmm. fast. Uh, Grant Daniel, <laughs> yes. I thought he would have been a shoe in. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I just I I just wanted to see some people who could be fast beat the races. Mm. Just to not let the races use this as an excuse to um well I mean I guess they're gonna be races anyway, aren't they? They they don't want to lose whether or not it's just messing around or not. So yeah. Yeah. Th- there could be some interesting racing out of that. Um and then they can all run into Luke Egan and Nathan Heimarsh going backwards <laughs> the wrong way around the track. Yeah. <laughs> Although we can't can't criticise people for going backwards too much, since uh, was it Lando Norris uh, who who tried to go backwards into the pit entry? Oh, in the um, E series, was it Lando or was it? I can't remember. It was a few weeks uh, ago now. Yeah, but yeah, but but having those other people have been great entertainment. The wild cards have been a great a great um, a great success for the E series in general. Um, yep. Yeah, but yeah, no, it's uh, look at least you know it could have been worse the the list of drivers that's for sure. So it's um, be interesting to see all of their setups as well. Um, oh, it'll still out. be fun. Yeah, yep. 
there's so, gonna be there's gonna be some broomstick handles and stuff. Yeah, I imagine in those in those setups. <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, <clears throat> look, I think that's that's pretty much most of the key news anyway this week. It's um it was a bit a bit slow of a news week uh, compared to what we had in the last couple of weeks. Um, yeah. Apart from you know. Maybe maybe that's why the Formula One teams rushed to get their news out this week because <laughs> it was quiet. It's slower, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> there was there was some supercars news that came out this week, but um, mm. that's really Joel's specialty. So we'll wait for him yeah. to come back and, yeah, we'll and help us cover that. Up. He's he's in there with all the uh, all the team owners and names and all that sort of thing. So we'll save yeah, something think, for I you, Joel. Upset too many people if uh, we we didn't get that right. That's for sure. Yep. Well, um, look, uh, anything? What are you? What are you driving uh, next, Mick? Um, I'm actually following up. So the carnival that I was going to compare to the Grand Via um, mm-hmm. got shifted back a few weeks. So I'm in that next week after I take okay. the Camry back and mm-hmm. um, finish taking it for a um, a little bit of a touch up through to Kenilworth tomorrow morning, probably. Nice. Um, but yeah, into the carnival. So we'll be chucking the kids in, chucking the. Um, a few things in to go to probably a, a lake or a river somewhere and go do a picnic somewhere outside. Nice. So That'd it'll be, be good. good. That's exactly what those sort of vehicles are for, you know, sort of mm-hmm. get to the park and take all your balls and things to play with and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. we'll pack that up and um, get out into the countryside. So looking forward to that. How about yourself? What's What's next for you? Uh, look, so the Renault and the, and the BMW go back on Friday. So um, basically we'll be uh, – Probably taking both of them out over the weekend uh, to do some do some driving, do some comparing of a different sort. Um, small SUV versus a, a hot sedan. I don't know what you call <laughs> That'd it. That'd be an interesting the, comparison. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're the same color, so it kind of begs for a oh yeah for a comparison. <laughs> um, that's what that's my justification anyway. Um, but no, so that's that. And then, so by the time we get to uh, next week's show, I'll be jumping into the Kia Sportage GT line, uh. and um, and then the Renault, and at the same time the Renault Traffic, um, so the the commercial uh, yep. commercial van. So. Um, <laughs> I'm actually kind of looking forward to 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 look at from a different couple of perspectives. One, um, I need a new mattress, so it's a good time to buy <laughs> one. Also, good timing, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, but also looking at from a not only from a commercial point of view of like you know using it as a work van, but also um, even though it's copped a bit of a hit lately, looking at it from um, you know starting to think about van life. You know that whole idea of um, converting um, a, a commercial vehicle like that into a, a camp a style vehicle um so looking at the the practicalities of going well you know if you're buying a bare bones like that you know how does it how could something like that work um for the budget versus you know going out and buying a let's say like an old they are extremely pricey the the full custom new ones yeah yeah absolutely unbelievable prices so so it's looking at you know where does a you know where could you reasonably fit um if you go and you know buy the van and then you know spend some time and build it out maybe over you know a month or a couple months or something like that you know build out the van yourself and um so you know what would that kind of look like versus you know going and buying a pre-done van or or buying a you know a cheaper second-hand one um so just just looking at those different ideas around 
what people are buying these vans for outside of just doing it, you know, as a delivery so van or a trading. Is it or... is it the same size as the uh, as the Hiace or Granvia type so size, it's, or it's is a it little down? So I haven't looked at the dimensions exactly, mm. but I did start to do a bit of a preliminary look at the Granvia as an inspiration because I also looked at well, if you bought one of these, yes, it's a little bit more expensive than the highest, like the equivalent. But the advantage of the Granvia, if you were to take out the seats, is that you get rails already built into the floor. You've got yep. USB points all over the place, which is great for charging devices and powering devices. Yep. Um, you have air conditioning through the roof already. Um, so you have that second climate control. So it's obviously you wouldn't be using that if you're stopped, not going anywhere, but it's a great way to cool down that entire space um, yeah. as you're traveling and, and, and in general. Um, and you've got all the windows and doors and everything like that. And it's you, kind of your build out is a bit different compared to buying a completely bare van. Um, yeah, and one thing which I do like about the Grand View is that the door folds up on the rear, um, the rear hatch folds out rather than two oh, separate rather the barn doors. Yeah. yeah, so it also so when you think about that from a, a, a camping van perspective, you go, well, actually, I can then that essentially creates a roof, and then I can build like an enclosure and kind of have like an, a, a you know a different type of experience compared to if you have like the barn door style. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just looking at those things and, and starting because that's a that's kind of a growing thing. It's really huge in America. Um, and, it, and it is growing here. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I thought it'd be an interesting to look at. Um, and I think uh, on preliminary look, the, the Renault actually has a few surprising features, particularly for the driver, um, where they've just thought about like they've got built-in um, mobile phone holders and, and that kind of thing, which goes, oh, oh, yep. it's just little clever things that you then don't have to add another separate yeah, bracket or a thing to or do yeah. yeah. Front wheel drive? Uh I don't know. I haven't looked at that. Yeah, I can't recall. Yet. Um because there is a mixture. Like if you go into the larger Renault vans, you can go front wheel or rear wheel. Yep. Um obviously depending on how you're loading the car, there's different advantages to each one. Obviously also it affects fuel economy. Um, mm. So normally in these, uh, once it gets closer, I will have to dive into the specs um, a little bit more. But, yeah, it is all of those things as well because you do have to think about, well, um, if you're if you're loading in X amount of weight into the back, how is that going to affect how it drives if you're going over different terrain, if you're going yep. down south, um, going to the mountains, particularly during wintertime, if you get a little bit of ice, obviously where you – your drive is coming from influences how confident or how easily you're going to navigate those sorts of things. Yeah. Um, can more so than look, I'm, I'm loading up with full of tools and yeah, you know, I'm, I'm operating a, a mobile mechanic business or, or whatever. Um, and obviously it means that you, it, it affects your floor height um, in the rear. Yeah. As well, like what kind of kind of like the carnival, you know, that extra deep space compared to the Grand View, um, you know, there's there's advantages that you pick up from that. Um, yeah, but also there's some cons at the same time. That should be but, uh, fun because you're getting a mattress yeah. as well. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I so I want to see a sunset shot of you with a new mattress, looking at the barn doors on the. On the traffic. <laughs> I will have to do that, I think. Uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. I'll, sure. I'll get that sorted for you. 
<laughs> All right. Well, um, look, as always, uh, you can you can follow Mick um, at Low Flight Tech. Uh, you can follow myself at Daily Auto Fix. And um, if you're a fan of Joel and you follow what he does as well, he's not here this time, but I'm sure you appreciate um, the follow on social media. You can follow him at Joel Strick Photo. Um, if you have any questions, send them in at shows at dailyautofix.com.au. Enter our competition, dailyautofix.com.au forward slash win. Um, and... Uh, yeah, until uh, next week, um, stay safe, enjoy, enjoy the roads, and um, we'll see you here back next week. 